it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's business time, baby. The Solo Monster sounds off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered the street. We like fighting a woman. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this. Come over here and fight me. Fight me. You haven't been beat up properly. Woo! <laughs> it's the final podcast of the year. Episode 632 of the Solomonster Sounds Off for Sunday, December 29th, 2019. I am the Solomonster. I thought the holidays were supposed to be less busy, yet I find myself doing more work than ever. You know you need more sleep when you're filling out your sandwich order at work for lunch, because the company pays for lunch on uh, Fridays every week, and we all eat together. And you're filling out your order and you write, Light Russian meddling instead of Russian dressing. I need to stop watching the news. I do not want Russians meddling with my sandwiches. There is a great Ukrainian diner, though, I have to say, in the East Village that I would recommend if you are a New York City dweller called Viselka. I used to spend many a late night there with some female companions at 3 o'clock in the morning when nothing else was open. They're open 24 hours. Those were the days. I don't go anywhere now, yet I'm busier than ever and I have no time for anything else, go figure. WWE even came to Madison Square Garden the other day, after Christmas, the day after Christmas, usually I go to the show, this year I I was already in Midtown, I was only blocks away from Madison Square Garden, I was coming out of work right around the time that people were going to the building for the show, and uh, could not be bothered to go. And so what happened? Andrade won the United States Championship from Rey Mysterio. And the last time that the U.S. title changed hands at a live event at MSG was two years ago. You don't have to go all the way back to when Diesel beat Bob Backlund in eight seconds in uh, 94. It was just two years ago. AJ Styles won the title from Kevin Owens. I didn't go to that show either. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's just, it is funny. Somebody pointed out I had just answered, it was last week, a question about the significance of house shows in WWE and why it would be foolish to get rid of them, and uh didn't really have anything to do with this. It was more for business reasons, but then this happens. Then there's a a, a title change at a house show. I was going to say major title change, uh, but the U.S. title has not really been treated as anything major, probably since John Cena was doing the uh, U.S. title open challenge. Audible is still offering everybody listening to this podcast a free book. With a 30-day trial of the service, just go to audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. Do it before the year is out, and you can get yourself a free audiobook of your choice. And a lot of you have been cashing in on that Kane book, Mayor Kane, narrated by Glenn Jacobs himself. So get in on it before the clock strikes midnight for 2020. Go to audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. And the final PayPal roll call here of the year you can always make a PayPal donation on the Solomonster.com. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out. 
And I want to just give a, a kind of a blanket thank you first to everybody who's donated this year, no matter how big or small, everybody who's contributed in some way to the podcast and shown their appreciation. Uh, I love each and every one of you. And as far as this week is concerned, I got to say thank you here on the final sound off of 2019 to the Portland pop star Paul Hamilton, Beast Mode Brock Joseph, the Marietta Mauler, Alexandru Mata, Velvet Revolver Robert Murray, Stephen Handyman, Hallistick, Deadpool James Herrera. Shout out to Deadpool for the extra support this week, here this final week of the year. I love you, brother. Killshot Keith Hart, Raymond the Mountie Medina. Ryan the Dagger McTaggart, the Chicago Slayer Willie Eichert, Out of Control Cody Thomas, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine Harrison Soap, Project Zero Mortals Wayne Ashanti, John Loose Cannon Lopez, putting other people over this week. I haven't seen a job like this since the kid beat Razor. Malicious Intent Michael Cuomo, No Way Out Nick Fugit, Super Jock Michael Cochran, Shooter Scott Marshall. The Bossier City Badass, Chris Walpool, and also want to give a shout out to Brian from Orlando, who left a very nice review for the podcast, which is always helpful to the podcast on iTunes, so thank you to Brian for that. And I want to make a mention here of this, one of our listeners, Roger, Roger Penland, uh, was is, is a fan of the podcast as his father was, Roger Penland Sr., his father passed away unexpectedly. Uh, this past week, which is a terrible thing, and especially around the holidays and, and the new year, for something like that to happen is even doubly worse. And it was completely unexpected. Uh, the family is grieving, and, and certainly my condolences to he, he and his family. Uh, I've heard from him many times over the years, and uh, in fact, I believe in his email he mentioned that his father was the one who effectively introduced him to the podcast. And so anybody who would like to support, because they, there is going to be uh, funeral expenses that they cannot cover on their own at the moment. Uh, there is a GoFundMe set up. The easiest way to get to it is if you go to the GoFundMe homepage and you search for Roger Penland Senior Memorial Fund. So that's P-E-N-L-A-N-D-S-R uh, for Senior. Roger Penland Senior Memorial Fund. Uh, you should see it come right up and you can make any kind of contribution or donation that you can. It just uh, went up, the page did, so... Uh, any support you can throw Roger's way would be very much appreciated. Uh, next week, we have the first shout-outs of 2020. So you can get those PayPals in before next Sunday if you want to be part of the first roll call of the new year. The 7th Annual uh, Sound Off Royal Rumble Pool is active right now in the Facebook group. Zach House of Pain Holker, as he has each of the last seven years, is the one hosting and coordinating the entire thing. I'm just here for the support. And a participant, although I can't uh, win any of the prizes for obvious reasons, but I get in on the fun like everybody else does. We had 81 pools last year with over 2,400 participants. And the post has been up, I'd say, what, about two weeks now? And so far, we're closing in on 1,600 and counting, which is a pretty healthy number. I don't know if we're going to get to the 2,400 or not. It's still early. Still early. The deadline's not until Royal Rumble Day, a few hours before the pay-per-view. Uh, prizes to be determined will be awarded to the first, second, and third place winners. And you need to be a member of the private Solomonster group on Facebook or else you can't participate. And so the way it works is that each person uh, will receive a random number 
Those numbers will be issued by Zach in a separate post later on next month. And that number will be your number for both the men's and the women's Royal Rumble matches, which means your chances of winning are now doubled from what they used to be. Uh, so, for example, if you are given number 13, and if the number 13 entrant in either one of the Royal Rumble matches goes on to win the match, you win your respective pool. You don't win a prize for that because there's going to be dozens and dozens of pools. But what that does is it sends you on to sort of the uh, the ultimate final Royal Rumble pool. Think the uh, match of survival at the uh, 1990 Survivor Series, where all the winners went to this one big main event at the very end of the show. Uh, actually, I think it was on the babyface side. It was just Hogan, Warrior, and Tito Santana. Quite the trio. So everybody will then move on to the Ultimate Rumble pool if you win your respective pool and that is where the three prize winners will be selected. So how do you enter? It's very simple. Just find Zach's Rumble Pool post pinned to the top of the Facebook group page. And all you have to do is like the post. It's pinned right up top in the announcement section. You can't miss it. You got the little illustration of, of, of the Sala Monster uh, illustration is, is the photo, I believe, up there. Just like the post. You don't even have to leave a comment if you don't want to. Like the post and you're in. And so the deadline to enter is January 26th. So you got plenty of time, but uh, get in on that as soon as possible so you can be part of all the fun. New Japan Pro Wrestling is presenting its first ever two-day Wrestle Kingdom event, Wrestle Kingdom 14 from the Tokyo Dome, January 4th and 5th. I believe that is a 2 a.m. Eastern start time both days for those of us East Coasters. That's probably a minimum of four hours each night, so you're looking at eight hours total between the two nights. Maybe more, if each night runs closer to five hours. That's a lot of wrestling. That's a lot of wrestling. And as somebody who has been to some of the recent WrestleMania shows, I feel like WrestleMania in one night is creeping up to those levels. And I've never been a fan of this idea of why not do a two-day WrestleMania. I'm still really not sold on that idea. Uh, but, you know, it may get to a point where they have no choice but to do that if those WrestleMania shows get longer and longer. So, this is an interesting experiment, because this is the first time that New Japan is doing this back-to-back uh, -back night thing. Uh, it's going to basically take up my entire weekend next uh, next weekend, which is going to be quite interesting as I prepare for the podcast, plus all of the Wrestle Kingdom coverage, but we'll get to that. I'll, I'll explain how I'm going to work that a little bit later on. But Wrestle Kingdom is consistently the best show of the year, if not one of the best shows all year long. They peak here in January. And if it's not the best show of the year, then it would be second only to some of those G1 Climax shows in the summer. Uh, or some NXT takeovers. Usually Wrestle Kingdom ends up being what I think is the best show of the year. But there are some NXT takeover shows that, that do give them, I think, a run for their money. You can watch the show on New Japan World. I think uh, U.S. currency, it works out to about $9 uh, for a subscription. I know a lot of people will subscribe and then cancel... Uh, as somebody who has used New Japan World before and will likely be using it again next weekend, uh, I've always once you go through the sign-up process, and I don't know uh, if they have now the translated English page or not. They, they, I do believe they they have one now. They didn't used to have that. It was interesting having to navigate that and just rely on the Google translation uh, to translate the page, so I knew what I was doing when I was signing up. Uh, I do think they've improved on that, but it will also be airing on Fight TV. Uh, at least in this country, it will. So if you do the Fight TV one, it's going to run you twenty four ninety nine per show. So you're looking at fifty bucks for the two nights. 
One thing you will not be able to do this year, before I get into Wrestle Kingdom, is watch uh, New Japan, and that actually includes Wrestle Kingdom, on a delay on Access Television. In fact, you won't be able to see New Japan at all anymore on Access Television. New Japan tweeted out this week that there are currently no plans for TV broadcast of New Japan events in 2020, which includes Wrestle Kingdom 14 in the U.S. Uh, That sucks. That sucks. But that should have probably been expected after Anthem purchased Access a few months ago and started airing Impact Wrestling, because Anthem owns Impact. So... You know, don't blame Impact. It's not Impact's fault. I saw some people saying, oh, Impact, they screwed over New Japan. No, they didn't. You got to distinguish between Impact and Anthem. Anthem is the one that purchased Impact Wrestling. Anthem is the one that acquired Access Television. And so it was only a matter of time before New Japan got the boot. That was the death knell for New Japan on that network. And I don't even think Access is big enough that they ever really release any ratings metrics. So it's hard to say how well the show was doing... Apparently it was doing well enough, New Japan was, and the airing of Wrestle Kingdom, uh, albeit on a small delay, uh, in recent years apparently did very well. So it's not a case where they weren't getting any viewers, it's just a case where, clearly, Anthem was, you know, wanting to put all their eggs in the impact basket and not really do anything to promote New Japan, since they have no ownership stake in New Japan, which is understandable, but it still sucks. Stardom. Stardom is the uh, popular women's promotion out of Japan. They will have a presence at Wrestle Kingdom with a dark match at the Tokyo Dome on that first night, January 4th. Uh, The match will pit Mayu Iwatani, who held the Women of Honor title twice in Ring of Honor before dropping the title back to Kelly Klein at that joint Ring of Honor New Japan Supercard at Madison Square Garden uh, earlier this year. She'll be teaming with Arisa Hoshiki against Hana Kimura and Julia. Those are the uh, participants. I've only heard of Mayu Iwatani. I've not heard of the other ladies in this match. Stardom was acquired by a subsidiary of Bushiroad. Bushiroad is the company that uh, owns New Japan Pro Wrestling. And so Stardom and New Japan are owned by the same parent company now, uh, although the two really don't have anything to do with each other. This is not a case of the two companies uh, working together, having a working relationship. This doesn't mean that women's wrestling is on the way to New Japan. It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, the match is not even going to be televised. Not even on the pre-show. So unless you are inside the Tokyo Dome, you will not be able to see it. Not unless it gets released later on. Stardom has their own uh, streaming service, Stardom World. Uh, but I've not read or heard anything about the match airing anywhere. So some people are very upset about this. Uh, this has to do with TV contracts. And deals that were made pre-acquisition. So there really is nothing that can be done. It's not a case where they're trying to discriminate against the women. It's a television contract situation. That's it. That's that's the explanation for it. So, again, unless you're in the dome, you're not going to see it. So let's run through the card. I have predictions here. I've been looking forward. I always look forward to Wrestle Kingdom. It's a nice palate cleanser after a lot of the bullshit that we see on television uh, from WWE at the end of the year when they just... It's just a dead period, and I always welcome uh, Wrestle Kingdom when it rolls around at the beginning of the year, and I've covered it each of the last several years, so this this will be no different. January 4th, night one, pre-show, Yuji Nagata and Manabu Nakanishi against Hiroshi Tenzan and Satoshi Kojima. I'll go with Tenzan and Kojima in this match. Uh, there's another pre-show match uh, as well. I believe it's an eight-man tag 
uh, Honma, Tomoyaki Honma's in the match, uh, Togi Makabe's in the match. I'll, I'll go with their team. Uh, they're taking on Alex Coughlin, Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, and Toa Hinare. Um, let's get to the main card. That's really what matters here. Jushin Thunder Liger. In the first match on the main card, because I believe this is the match order, uh, but it will be the second to last match of Liger's career. He teams up with Tatsumi Fujinami, the great Sasuke and Tiger Mask, to take on Naoki Sano, Shinjiro Otani, Tatsuhito Takiawa, and Risuke Taguchi. So those are the opponents. And when I heard that he was going to be part of a match like this, I was like, eh, really? This is one of his last matches? I figured it would be a singles match. Uh, you know, come up with, whether it's an old opponent or a newer guy, maybe they would do something with him and, and uh, you know, Hiromu or something, night one, night two. So they're basically putting him in there with, uh, you know, Fujinami's in there and, and, you know, Sasuke, Tiger Mask. You know, this is the Legends party here that they've put together here. Uh, people that he has spent his career working with and working around over the years. This, to me, just seems like a gimme. It seems like a gimme win for Liger's team. Uh, so obviously I'm picking Liger's team to get the win here. Uh, I'm not as familiar with a lot of the other people. I mean, Taguchi I know, but the uh, people on the opposing side I'm not as familiar with anyway. We have Shingo Takagi, Bushi, Evil and Sonata taking on Suzuki Goons, El Desperado, Tai Chi, Zack Sabre Jr., and Minoru Suzuki. Far be it for me to vote against Minoru Suzuki, but I'm going to do it here. And uh, my pick is Takagi, Bushi, Evil, and Sonata. We have Yoshihashi, Toriano, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroki Goto taking on Kenta, Chase Owens, Yujiro Takahashi, and Bad Luck Fale representing Bullet Club. And so dies the fantasy of a Kenta Shibata match. I knew it was a long shot, but they got your hopes up just a little bit, you know? This obviously would have been the show to do it, either night one or night two. And they gave you a little bit of hope. When Shibata came back and he was getting physical and he beat the hell out of, uh, you know, he was beating the hell out of Kenta. This is after that great angle. Not only one of the best wrestling angles of 2019, but one of the best wrestling angles that I have ever seen. You want to, you want to talk about the decades and I'll be doing something separate on the decades in the next few weeks. One of the best angles of the decade, hands down bar none in any wrestling promotion anywhere in the world. When Kenta turned and joined Bullet Club and he was sitting cross-legged on top of, you know, his, 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 his former partner and friend's chest, Shibata, and then Shibata eventually came back and beat the hell out of Kenta and they beat him down. They didn't give him any headshots, obviously, but they beat him down and, you know, we've seen Shibata get physical now a few times, but obviously he's not cleared, will likely never be cleared and will never wrestle a match ever again, at least not in New Japan. And, in reality, it's for the best. I understand that. But still, they got your hopes up a little bit. So it's a little disappointing that we, we're not going to get that match. Uh, but I do think that uh, Bullet Club wins. I think Kenta's team picks up the win here in this match. We've got the Gorillas of Destiny, Tama Tanga and Tangaloa, defending their IWGP Tag Team titles against the winners of the World Tag League, David Finley and Juice Robinson. I'm going to go with uh, G.O.D. to retain their tag team titles here. John Moxley challenges Lance Archer in a bid to get back his IWGP United States Championship in a Texas death match, a Texas death match here in Japan, where you can only win via knockout or submission. Moxley made his own deal with New Japan, separate and apart from his deal with AEW, 
And this is scheduled, at least it was as of a few months ago, scheduled to be his final date. He also never lost the U.S. title. It was taken from him. There was a typhoon uh, that hit Japan. It made it very difficult for him to travel to uh, one of the New Japan events a few months ago that he was to have defended the championship at, and so they stripped him of it. And at the World Tag League Finals, he popped up as a surprise, and he said, basically said to Archer, you know, you didn't beat me for that belt. Delta Airlines stole that belt from me. So Moxley can lose here based on the stipulations. There's no pinfall. He can lose without being pinned on some kind of a fluky finish. You know, maybe they knock each other out and Archer makes it back to his feet in time just before the 10 count. You know, but however they do it, my prediction uh, can go straight out the window if he signed, uh, you know, an extended deal with them to stick around longer and do more matches. You know, I remember he sat down with Chris Van Vliet several weeks ago for an interview and he mentioned, you know, he loves Japan. He he intends to work there if he can for the rest of his career, off and on. So really, it all depends on whether or not he's staying or not. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. I'm I'm operating under the assumption and going with the idea that after this. Moxley is gone. He he will eventually be back, but that he is done after this. So I'm picking Lance Archer. I think Archer is going to retain the title. Uh, and part of that also is the fact that Archer, or whoever the champion is, is going to have to defend that title against Juice Robinson the next night. And uh, I think Archer is going to be that guy. Hiromu Takahashi, who suffered a broken neck last summer, not this past summer, but uh, almost a year and a half ago now, and only recently made his return. It was There was some question about whether or not he would ever return. And now he is back. He is challenging Will Ospreay for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Crown. Ospreay had a breakout year in 2019. Uh, more than just a light heavyweight. He was mixing it up you know, in, in the G1 with the heavyweights and having some of the best matches that you will see all year. He had as good of a year in wrestling as anybody that you will find. He is on the ascent, which I think means heavyweight. Uh, but before that, I think he retains here, and I think he gets his win back over the man who took the title from him at the Dominion show last year, you know, and that was just one month before Hiromu broke his neck, uh, but I think now as as these two guys climb back into the ring together, I think Osprey gets his win back, so I think he retains the championship. Jay White defends the IWGP Intercontinental title against the man he defeated to win the championship, Tetsuya Naito. The winner of this match, and this is the big uh, draw or the big attraction this year at Wrestle Kingdom, is that they're going to crown a double champion 
Somebody is going to walk out on night two as the IWGP heavyweight champion and the IWGP intercontinental champion. And so this is the first uh, match here of significance with uh, respect to that. The winner of this match will go on to meet the winner of the main event on day two of Wrestle Kingdom. Two years ago at Wrestle Kingdom, Naito lost to Okada. And it felt like the wrong decision at the time. Uh, People were ready for Naito to win that title. He was as hot as ever. And people had convinced themselves that this was going to be his crowning moment. He was going to win the title. And then he didn't. And he has cooled off since then. Last year at Wrestle Kingdom, Naito defeated Chris Jericho to regain the Intercontinental title. If Naito doesn't win both nights in both belts now, it feels like a period at the end of the sentence for him. So I'm picking him to win. I think Naito wins the Intercontinental Championship and moves on to night two. And the night one main event will be for the IWGP Championship. Kazuchika Okada defends the title against the winner of the 2019 G1 Climax, Kota Ibushi, who had an incredible match in the finals against Jay White. Ibushi, also the first man to win the New Japan Cup, the best of the Super Juniors, and the G1. First man to ever do that. Because I see Naito winning the next night, which I I just gave away my main spoiler here, but because I see Naito winning the next night, well, not spoiler, prediction. What does Paul Heyman say? It's not a, uh, it's not a, (laughs) this is not a prediction. This is a spoiler. You can reverse that here. This is a prediction. This is not a spoiler. But because I see Naito winning the next night, Ibushi's first reign going a whole 24 hours just seems unnecessary to me. I think you want to save that. You want to save his his first big win, you know, where it can stand on its own and he can have some time to be, you know, I mean, to take the championship away from him 24 hours later just seems uh, foolish to me. And also, I think it should be Okada anyway, who Naito beats, given that it was Okada who beat him the last time they met at Wrestle Kingdom. So I pick Okada to retain. Which brings us to January 5th, which is the real climax of the weekend with... Liger's final match, and the crowning of a double champion, plus Jericho and Tanahashi. Pre-show has a gauntlet match for the never-open-weight six-man tag team titles. Risuke Taguchi, Togi Makabe, and Toriyano defend against Robbie Eagles, Yoshihashi, and Tomohiro Ishii, as well as uh, the team of Bushi, Shingo, Takagi, and Evil, the team of Kanemaru, El Desperado, and Taichi, and the team of Chase Owens, Yujiro and Bad Luck Fale representing Bullet Club. I'm going to go with Bushi, Shingo, and Evil to win the match here. To win the titles in the match. That's who I'm, uh, that's who I'm picking. Then it's the main card. With Jushin Thunder Liger's retirement match. He's tagging with Naoki Sano against Hiromu Takahashi and the former Dragon Lee. Hiromu. Teaming with the man that broke his neck. He's an understanding chap. (laughs) I think the match on night one is, like I said this before, is a gimme for Liger to win. But then he falls here in his final match. He goes old school. He does the honors on the way out. I think Hiromu and Dragon Lee, uh, I still call him Dragon Lee. Uh, I think they pick up the win in Liger's final match. El Fantasmo. And Taiji Ishimori, representing Bullet Club, defend the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles against Rapungi 3K, Sho and Yo, 
who earned the shot after winning their third straight Super Junior Tag League in November. They beat Suzuki Goon. I think they pick up the win here. So I'm going with uh, Rapungi 3K. Zack Sabre Jr. defends his British heavyweight title against Sonata. I'm going with Sonata for the win and new champion. Big things in his future. Kenta defends the never-open-weight title against Hiroki Goto. Now, back at Power Struggle in November, Kenta interfered in the Intercontinental Championship match Goto had with Jay White. He hit him with the go-to-sleep and basically cost him, uh, possibly cost him the championship. So then in the World Tag League, Goto got a pinfall win over Kenta in a tag team match, which has led to where we are now. They had a Wrestle Kingdom press conference several weeks ago. Goto said, this is supposed to be a never championship match, uh, but I will not be thinking much about the title when I beat the hell out of that man. So this is personal. This is a grudge match between these two men. And after he said that, Kenta blindsided him with the belt and beat him up. Goto has held that never title four times. I said to myself, I said, it feels like this guy's always wrestling for the never title. Remember him and Ishii wrestling for it. So I checked. Four times he has held the never open weight title. Two of those wins came in matches at Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom 11 and Wrestle Kingdom 12 against Kasuyori Shibata and Minoru Suzuki. I think he wins number five here at Wrestle Kingdom this year. I'm picking Goto to win the title from Kenta. And hopefully we get a Shibata appearance. Maybe he'll be in Goto's corner, which is why I'm also picking him to win because I think he's going to get involved in some way. He may not be able to wrestle. He may not be cleared to do a match, but obviously he can do some some physical stuff, and I think we'll see some physicality from him, you know, if, assuming he shows up uh, in this match here at Wrestle Kingdom. Whoever the United States champion is after night one, either John Moxley or Lance Archer, will defend the title against the former champion, Juice Robinson. And I think whoever it is, and I'm set picking Lance Archer to go on to night two, I think we'll go on to drop the belt to Juice. I think Juice wins and gets the belt back. The loser of the Naito J. White match from night one will meet the loser of the Okada Ibushi match, also from night one. So a battle of the losers. I hate to say it that way, but that's what it is. It's a battle of the losers. With the winner getting a double title match in February against whomever the champion is. I think this match here will be Jay White against Kota Ibushi in a rematch of their excellent G1 final match. Only the difference is Ibushi won the G1 final. I think this time Jay White wins. So I think it's White against Ibushi and Jay White picks up the win. And then we have the pain maker, Chris Jericho, for the first time ever one-on-one against Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace of New Japan. Jericho's first Wrestle Kingdom match was two years ago against Kenny Omega, and it was excellent. His second Wrestle Kingdom match uh, this year, still 2019 as I am recording this, his second Wrestle Kingdom match came against Naito, and it was excellent. I see no reason why this match would be any different. Jericho, Jericho has better matches in New Japan than he does in AEW. He also lost both of those matches. So the question here is, would he lose three straight? Would he lose three straight Wrestle Kingdom matches? And if so, does that diminish his value if he were to continue working with New Japan? Uh, you know, does he have to win one? You know, the difference is also that this time around, he is the AEW champion. And even more interesting is that Tanahashi announced that if he beats Jericho, he intended to open the forbidden door 
and challenged Jericho for his AEW championship. Now, Jericho has since responded and said that he thinks it's a great idea. He even went to the chairman of the board, the owner of AEW, Tony Khan, to ask if it was okay to grant Tanahashi's request, and Tony Khan said yes. So if Tanahashi, it's now official, if Tanahashi can beat Chris Jericho in the Tokyo Dome, Chris Jericho will give him, at a a later date, a match for the AEW Championship. Now, I badly want to believe that both sides are finally going to work together. I have been pitching this since day one, a working relationship. I've been saying it loud every single every single time I bring this up, that a working relationship between New Japan and AEW would be mutually beneficial to both sides, especially now. Look at the position that New Japan is in now, after we found out the news this week that they're gone from access. They have no television here in the United States at all. Now imagine some of their big names cycling in and out of AEW and getting exposure on TNT in front of, you know, I mean, really, you factor in the DVR, they've got 1.2 to 1.4 people watching their show every week. Now imagine those New Japan guys getting that kind of exposure on TNT. You know, I think a lot of the core audience that AEW has, you know, they're, they're the hardest of hardcores in a lot of cases, they probably already know who Okada is. They probably already know who Tanahashi is and Ibushi. But there's also a lot of people who probably have no idea who these people are. So they would get a level of exposure that they're just not going to get next year here in this country. And this is a company that's trying to expand. They're in the middle of a U.S. expansion. It's kind of hard to do if you don't have television. Now, I have no idea if this is the side of an actual breakthrough between the two sides. My inclination is to say no. It's just something that Jericho and Tanahashi came up with to try to hype up their match. You know, and AEW is like, sure, go ahead, hype it up. It's not going to happen, but go for it. What it's done, though, it is ha- it has created real intrigue going into this match, and I like that. I mean, I was already looking forward to the match anyway, but now it creates this real question about what's going to happen, who's going to win. It makes it harder to predict a winner, I think, here in this match. I still think Chris Jericho wins, though. As soon as I heard that this is what they were teasing... Because I don't think that there's any kind of, a, of, of an agreement in place, unfortunately. Not yet. I think Chris Jericho wins. If he is going to do more matches in New Japan, he has to win some. I mean, look, he lost to Omega. He beat Naito, but then he lost to Naito. He lost to Okada. Uh, he needs this win more than Tanahashi does. At least to keep things interesting for any future matches that he might have. So, as much as I would love to see Tanahashi win and then go on to do an AEW title match, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening, and I think Jericho picks up the win. And finally, the IWGP champion will meet the IWGP Intercontinental Champion title for title in the main event to crown a new double champion for the first time ever. The first time with those two titles. Obviously, people have held two titles in New Japan before, but not these two. Not the top two titles before. It'll be like WrestleMania VI, only without all of the steroids. I believe it will be Okada against Naito in a rematch of the Wrestle Kingdom 12 main event. This time with Naito finally getting that elusive big win and taking home both belts. Tetsuya Naito is my pick to win it all at Wrestle Kingdom. New Japan has not announced a card for its New Year's Dash show on January 6th, outside of a retirement ceremony that they are going to have for Liger 
And, uh, and that's that's the weekend. That's what's coming up. Now, my plans for Wrestle Kingdom coverage next weekend are as follows. My, my plan right now, I'm going to watch both days. I'm not waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to do it, so I'm going to have to avoid uh, spoilers and all that. But I do plan to watch both days. I'm going to post separate review videos each night to the YouTube channel. And eventually, it'll the audio will push to the feed as well, but it's going to hit YouTube first. I'm keeping that separate, completely separate, from SoundOff 633. So there will be a normal SoundOff next Sunday, as always. It will have absolutely no Wrestle Kingdom talk whatsoever. No Wrestle Kingdom spoilers, because a lot of people I know are not going to be able to watch the show live. This is something that may take a while for people to get through. You know, it's two shows back to back. Again, you're talking eight to ten hours of wrestling here. So there will be no Wrestle Kingdom talk or spoilers at all on next Sunday's show. And that coverage will be kept completely separate from the podcast next Sunday. I got a lot of positive feedback to the segment last week where I went off on the whole issue of whether or not WWE really gave the fans what they wanted one year after the McMahon stood in the ring on Raw and said that they were taking back control of the show. That doubled as your year in review for 2019. But two things I did not cover that I wanted to make sure I got to this week are my picks for Wrestler of the Year and Match of the Year. And so what I did in terms of the matches, and it's never an easy thing to do this, especially if you rank them, but I ranked what I thought were the 10 best wrestling matches of 2019. My personal favorites. So we're going to run through that right now. We're going to start from the bottom. We're going to start from number 10 and work our way up to what I thought was the number one best match all year in 2019. Number 10, the men's elimination chamber match for the WWE Championship. Kofi Kingston replacing the injured Mustafa Ali, Jeff Hardy, Samoa Joe, Randy Orton, AJ Styles, and the new Daniel Bryan. Highlighted by a fantastic final few minutes. I mean, I like the whole match from start to finish, really, but the final, I don't know, five to ten minutes with Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston and Kofi just falling short of winning the championship. You know, at the time, I described it as it was very similar to the finish they did with Brian and Santino Morella back in, I guess it would have been 2011? 20, or 2012, maybe. Uh, 2012 Elimination Chamber. They got you to buy into the fact that Santino might just sneak out a win to win the championship, or even if you didn't buy into it. You were on the edge of your seat. The way they played that was was to perfection. And they did the same thing here with Brian and Kofi. The fans badly wanted to see Kofi pick up this win. And they decided to save it for WrestleMania instead, which made for a much sweeter moment. But this was an excellent chamber match. And basically, this took the spot that I probably would have given to the men's War Games match at NXT TakeOver last month. But this was a better match. Number nine, John Moxley. Against Tomohiro Ishii from night six of the G1 Climax. One of my favorite matches from this year's G1 and a match that reminded me a lot of the AJ Styles Minoru Suzuki G1 match from five years ago. It's just so different from everything else that you saw in that tournament. And as with the AJ Minoru Suzuki match, when I was hearing, because I didn't see it live, but everyone's like, oh my god, this match is incredible. I said, I gotta watch this match now. And I remember watching it and th- seeing, all right, is this overhyped or whatever? Yeah, it's not like the greatest match of all time, but I watched it and I said, 
that was a damn great match. And I felt the same way here watching this. It was just different from anything else that you were going to see in the G1 this year. These two brawled all over the building. They brawled all over Cork and Hall. They used weapons. They just went, you know, head-to-head, nose-to-nose. Never backed down. Moxley went on to uh, win the match. He stayed undefeated in New Japan a little while longer. He didn't stay undefeated forever, but he stayed undefeated for a little while longer. And watching this, now that I go back and think about this match, it just makes me want to see Moxley against Minoru Suzuki that much more. Number eight, Kota Ibushi against Jay White in the finals of the G1 Climax. Jay White has to be the most hated man in all of New Japan. Maybe it's a rat race with him and Kenta. Kenta, after the Shibata angle where he turned on him, he had molten heat. But I'm thinking Jay White probably is, is takes the crown for the most hated man in New Japan. He's just very, very easily hateable. And I never used to get it with Jay White. It was like, ah, he's a good wrestler, but like, there's not a whole lot there. But personality-wise, character-wise, as a heel, he has improved so much this year. And part of what people hate about him is he comes out there, as he did in this match, and he's got Bullet Club out there with him, and he's got Ghetto out there with him. And it's this sort of Americanized interference bullshit that the Bullet Club faction has become known for uh, over the years that you never really used to see in New Japan. Like, that's, that's American wrestling bullshit. And so people hate that. And they boo, and early on here, though, I think it was Red Shoes, I believe, as the referee, sent them away. He sent away Bullet Club, he sent away Ghetto, although Ghetto did come back out to interfere later on. So he had the interference. But in the end, it didn't help Jay White one lick. In the end, Ibushi, bad ankle and all, which he legitimately injured in the match he had with Will Ospreay on the very first night of the G1. Uh, He wrecked his ankle. And so they incorporated the injury into a lot of his matches after that, because he was still doing crazy suplexes and, and landing on his neck, and it's a miracle he can still walk. But he couldn't do some of the things that maybe he otherwise would have done. Uh, I mean, he, he he would still go aerial from time to time. But he was definitely hampered by the ankle injury. And so they incorporated that into the match. But he pulls off the win. And he wins the G1 Climax. Uh, and it works with the Jay White dynamic just because he's so hated and Ibushi is so beloved. You know, you can't probably... Fu- you will find... Very few other baby faces as beloved as him. Probably Tanahashi, I guess. Uh, but it just worked. And I thought they had an excellent match. It was an excellent final. Uh, the right man won. And I have that as number eight on my list. Which brings me to number seven. Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 35. A moment 11 years in the making with the crowning of Kofi Kingston... As WWE Champion, something I never thought I would say, just like I never thought we'd see Jinder Mahal as the WWE Champion. But here we are. One of those uh, one of those surprises of the decade, I guess you can say. And there is something poetic about Daniel Bryan being the opponent here when Kofi's story... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Played out the way that it did, and just the way the fans got behind Kingston heading into WrestleMania so closely resembled the story of Daniel Bryan's rise, his his very organic rise back in 2013 and 2014. Now, that storyline was the authority against Daniel Bryan. It was Triple H and Stephanie and Vince McMahon. You're a B-plus player. You're not supposed to be the man. You're not supposed to be the champion. It's a little different than the story they did with Kofi, but it was still similar in that you're the underdog. You don't belong. You know, you're not supposed to be the champion. And they would throw obstacle after obstacle and, and gauntlet matches and everything that this guy had to go through just to get to WrestleMania. There were a lot of similarities between the two. Between the Yes Movement and Kofi Mania. And if the fans don't get behind Kofi Kingston the way they did, or if he loses at Elimination Chamber like he did, he fell short, and then the fans just, you know, he dies a death. And Kofi Kingston doesn't go to WrestleMania. And he certainly doesn't go to WrestleMania and win the championship. You can thank the fans for kind of putting him over the hump like that. But it's it's just, it's poetic that it was Brian now who went through this himself, and now here we are how what, five years now, probably later, and Brian is the one doing the honors for Kofi. And what led up to this? Mustafa Ali got his face stomped on in a match on SmackDown by Randy Orton. Had his, uh, I think, I don't know if it was an eye socket or an orbital socket, some, some kind of injury. Didn't keep him out for a long time, but he was hurt. He was on a roll. He was getting a push. He was on... Just the biggest role that he's been on in his career, and he was barreling towards the Elimination Chamber. And ironically, it was Daniel Bryan who really went to bat for Mustafa Ali behind the scenes and wanted to work with him and get him on TV. He he really uh, kind of made his case for why Ali should be in that spot, and then he got hurt. And so Kofi Kingston was the replacement. And it makes you wonder, could that have been Mustafa Ali going to WrestleMania and winning the championship? I would say no. I think that would have been uh, probably a little premature. Kofi had a lot more seniority on him, and so it made sense to play into that and say, God, this guy, you know, Mustafa Ali's brand new, but Kofi Kingston, this guy's been around for 11 years. It's either now or never for this guy. Ali's a young guy. He'll have other opportunities, but Kofi, come on. Do or die. But Kofi benefited from the injury, you know? That's what happens sometimes. You go down with an injury, and somebody else steps up and takes your spot. That's the way it works. So the way it all came together, it just makes for a great a great story. And then you have the match itself, which I uh, I had the privilege of being there live for. And I thought it was an excellent match, especially as it built to the end. You could just feel it. There was a feeling inside that stadium. People badly wanted to see Kofi Kingston. I think even more than Becky Lynch, to be honest with you, in the main event. They wanted to see Kofi Kingston win that championship in the worst way. And when he hit the trouble in paradise and he pinned Brian and you see that look of shock on Kofi's face and New Day is in there and Xavier's crying and, you know, they, they kind of ditch the hemp belt and they reveal the uh, regular WWE title belt and they present it to him and then his family and his kids are in the ring and his son is climbing the ropes and throwing t-shirts into the crowd. 
it was just a fantastic moment. It was, you know, they talk about these moments at WrestleManias, right? And it kind of gets old. Oh, WrestleMania moment. It's like, why don't you just let the moment play out instead of talking about WrestleMania moments, you know? And it was one of those moments. And it was great. And the pyro's going off. You know, and it should have ended the show, but obviously I know why it didn't. I mean, the bigger match was the women's match and first ever women's WrestleMania main event. I get that. Not nearly as good as this match, though. And, you know, you get emotional there. I got emotional when Kofi won at the end and was celebrating in the ring. I mean, how could you not? Unless you hate the guy. I feel like even if you're not a Kofi Kingston fan, even if you think it was a disgrace that he won the championship, you got to give them credit for putting together what turned out to be a great little story. And WrestleMania should be the payoff. It should be the climax to a story like that. So I thought this was great. Number six, Cody against Dustin Rhodes from AEW Double or Nothing back in May. This was my match of the night from Double or Nothing from that pay-per-view. Uh, this was pretty pretty special for uh, for me to be in the building live for this. This was This was a match that I think when it was over... You will remember for a long time. This was the match that these two should have had at WrestleMania all those years ago. This was the WrestleMania match that they always wanted to have together. Not that awful match they had at Fastlane in 2015. It was an abomination, that match. It just didn't work. And that wasn't Cody and Dustin. That was uh, Stardust and Goldust. So the whole dynamic was just different there. But you know that this is the type of match that these two would have loved to have gone out in front of 80,000 people at a WrestleMania. And have. Dustin bled a gusher. This guy must have hit an artery or something with that blade job. He did the Eddie Guerrero blade job here. But the emotion in this match, this was just classic old school pro wrestling. This is pro wrestling done right. And then afterwards, Dustin, you know, calls it the greatest night of his life. And think about how many years he's had in the wrestling business. For, for him to turn around and call that the greatest night of his life. Number five, Chris Jericho. Against Tetsuya Naito. No disqualification for Jericho's IWGP Intercontinental title at Wrestle Kingdom 13. I like this even more than I did Jericho's match with Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom the year before. With maybe the greatest Spike DDT spot that I have ever seen. Or uh, Cell Job, anyway, from Naito. That I have ever seen in a match. On top of the announce desk. That was that still stands out to me. Of all the spots and all the moves and all the drama and everything else in the match, that Spike DDT and Naito basically standing on top of his own head still stands out to me. You know what you're going to get with a Chris Jericho match in New Japan. A lot of brawling, a lot of weapons, some good wrestling. I thought it was a great mix. It had a little bit of everything, except the bubbly. It didn't have a little bit of the bubbly, but it had a little bit of everything. Uh, and this was Jericho's best match of 2019, and he went on to wrestle Kenny Omega, and he went on to wrestle Hangman Page, and win the AEW Championship, and he wrestled other people as well. Cody, the best match that Chris Jericho had all year was at the beginning of the year at Wrestle Kingdom against Naito. Number four, speaking of Wrestle Kingdom, Hiroshi Tanahashi against Kenny Omega for the IWGP Championship at Wrestle Kingdom 13. Clocks in at number four here on the list. The longest Tokyo Dome main event in history. Roughly 40 minutes. With Tanahashi becoming the first man ever to win the G1 Climax briefcase and actually go on to win the championship at Wrestle Kingdom. Jericho and Naito, I'd say, held match of the night honors for about, oh, I'd say an hour or so. 
before this match basically just stole them away. Uh, Omega saw the story coming into this. Omega saw Tanahashi as the old guard, and Tanahashi saw Omega as this disrespectful punk. Basically, Omega represented the new blood and the the uh, supposed future, I guess, of of New Japan. Even though his future in New Japan was very much up in the air. And Tanahashi represented the traditional guard of New Japan. That was the story heading into the match. I can't say the outcome was never in doubt. But with all the signs pointing to Omega leaving to go join AEW at the start of the year. Tanahashi had to be the favorite going into this match. Like I don't know what the betting odds would have been on something like this beforehand. I don't check the betting odds anyway because they're basically just spoilers. But... Uh, Tanahashi would have had to have been the favorite coming into this match. Omega, I would argue that Kenny Omega never had a match as good as this one for the remainder of 2019. Which is not to say that he didn't have any more good matches in 2019, but I don't think he did anything else the rest of the year in AEW or, you know, AAA. Because he had a, he actually had a, a great match with uh, Phoenix, Ray Phoenix in AAA and won the AAA Mega Heavyweight title a few months ago. But he never had another match all year, I don't think, as good as the one that he had at Wrestle Kingdom with Tanahashi, which truly is one of the best matches all year in any promotion. Just a classic main event with Tanahashi winning at the end, but it was the best match that I saw Kenny Omega in all year long. Number three, Walter versus Tyler Bate for the NXT United Kingdom Championship at NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff. Over the summer, a 42-minute war in every sense of the word. I think war is a great word for it. With Walter retaining the title in a match that played out in front of a very lively UK crowd, that always helps. When you have moments where the crowd is, it's like it's the building is shaking, then you know that you're having a great match. And, you know, they did, there was a uh, an injury angle they had done with Tyler Bate and... Uh, if I remember, I think Bate was even using some moves that uh, his friends used, Trent Seven and Pete Dunne, who had their own battles with Walter. Just the storytelling, but then the action itself. Big guy, little guy, David Goliath. That was what this match was. And Walter is not a tall guy. It's not like Walter is seven feet tall or 400 pounds. But he's a big dude. He's a lot bigger than Tyler Bate is. And Tyler Bate is a freak of nature. He is a deceptively strong individual. And so he had his own you know, suplexes and power spots. It's always impressive to watch Tyler Bate, who I think is, is one of the best in the world. I really do. He's a small guy. He's a small guy. But he is one of the most impressive people that I have seen uh, in WWE. You know, they brought in a lot of new talent, a lot of UK talent. He is among the most impressive that I have ever seen. So you put these two guys in the ring together. They're in there to tell a story, uh, a physical story more than anything, but they're in there to tell a story. Did the match go too long? Uh, you know what? They probably could have shaved a few minutes off the match instead of going 42 minutes. You know, I think if they would have done the match in 30 minutes, in 33 minutes, it would have been fine. But I don't remember watching this match and thinking, boy, you know, I'm looking at my watch and, man, you know, I wish this match uh, wrap up. You know, this match should be wrapping up by now. I got wrapped up. I got wrapped up in, in what they were doing, and it passed by very quickly for me. But could they have shaved some time off of it? Absolutely. I don't think it had to go 42 minutes. 
But as they were getting towards the finish, you thought it was the finish, and then it wouldn't be the finish. You thought that Tyler Bate had the match won, and then he didn't have the match won. They were toying with you. They were playing with your emotions. You really badly wanted to see Tyler Bate be the one to pull it off and be the first guy to beat Walter. But in the end, he just couldn't do it. He was outgunned. He was outmatched and outpowered by the bigger man. I thought this match was absolutely tremendous and easily one of the best matches all year. And if you had this as your number one match, I would not argue with you. You can argue that this was the best match of the year. For me, it's number three on my list. Number two on my list, Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano. Two out of three falls for the vacant NXT Championship at NXT TakeOver New York. This was back over WrestleMania weekend. This was the match that displaced Johnny Gargano against Andrade Cien Almas as the greatest, for me, the greatest NXT match of all time. Although barely, because I, I do love that Almas match. I love that Almas match so much. It is one of my favorite matches. Uh, but this one just edged it out. And we saw Cole and Gargano go on to have a whole bunch of other matches. And those were excellent too. They're not featured in this countdown. But those were those were excellent too. Even I, towards the end though, when I watched their last match, had grown tired of a lot of the kicking out of the big moves and feeling like, okay, this would be a good place for the match to end, but then it would just keep going. It wore out its welcome with me. But it didn't here in this match. Because this was the really the first meeting. It might have been the first meeting at all. But the first big meeting. Championships vacant. New champion guaranteed to be crowned. They're in New York. They've got a hot crowd. Everyone's hanging on to every move. Everyone's hanging on to every near fall. And Johnny Gargano. Here, here's, here, here's the thing about this. And to go back to the Almas match for a second. I think had Johnny won the title there when he wrestled Andrade for the NXT Championship... I think that match would still be number one for me. But he didn't win the title there. He won it here. And it should have come against his best friend, turned bitter rival, Tommaso Ciampa. Ciampa's neck, though, would not allow him to make it to take over to defend the title. That was going to be the main event. It was going to be the big payoff to all of this. I mean, how many years? Probably two years worth of a storyline that built up from start to finish between these two. And then Ciampa, weeks before, is stripped of the NXT title. And so the title was put up in this match between Gargano and Adam Cole. You make the best of a bad situation. That's exactly what they did here. Now, if Cole and if Gargano and Champa had gone out there, would I be sitting here telling you that I think that was the greatest main event in NXT history, the greatest match in NXT history? I don't know. Maybe not. But that's what we ended up with. And what I loved about this is that when Johnny Gargano walked out there, because Adam Cole has a lot of fans himself. Yes, yeah, he's the heel. Undisputed Era, their heels. People cheered though they like Adam Cole. When Gargano came out, he was booed. They were they were the way they were playing the storyline is Johnny went a little nutty there for a while and was doing certain things that had turned some of the fans against him. Even though he was this ultimate underdog babyface, there were people who booed him when he came out for that match. He was booed by a vocal minority of the crowd. The people were very much pro Adam Cole at the start of this match. By the end, they exploded. When Johnny was firing up for his comeback and when he finally pulled off the win and tapped out Adam Cole in the middle of the ring, they exploded. And that's the sign of two pros that know how to control the crowd and and know how to tell a great story. It was almost 15 minutes before Cole won the first fall with the last shot. The second fall went half that amount of time. Adam Cole immediately tapped out to the Gargano escape so that he wouldn't be too badly injured for the third and final fall. 
It went to sudden death. When Undisputed Era got involved in the match, the people booed like crazy. Like uh, Jay White with uh, Bullet Club in a New Japan match. They went they went crazy. They did not want this match to end like that. It can't end like this. And when Gargano fought them all off, he's one man. And he fought off about four different people. It was fantastic. And then Cole finally taps out to the Gargano escape. And the place came unglued. After two years of chasing the title, we finally got the payoff with Johnny Gargano winning the championship. And if you look at what happened after that, because Gargano didn't have the title for that long. It really is a case of sometimes the chase is better than what comes after the chase. Uh, and you could probably say that honest, in all honesty about a lot of champions over the years. Goldberg, I think back to Goldberg. Look at, you know, undefeated, racking up win after win. 90-0, 100-0. Goes to the Georgia Dome. Classic match against Hollywood Hogan. One of the biggest matches and moments when he won that championship in WCW history. The chase was was incredible. And then he was on pay-per-view, what was it, a week later, defending against uh, Kurt Hennig. <laughs> and uh, he had one memorable match, as best as I could tell, against Hall- at Halloween Havoc against Diamond Dallas Page. Sometimes the chase is just better than what comes after the chase. You kind of get there, and then you got the championship, and it's like, well, now what? That's not the case with everybody. That's not the case with everybody. I kind of feel like that was the case with Gargano, though. He got it, and then it was like, well... Eh. Now what? But this match was just pure, pure bliss. I think if you are, you know, especially if you're, if you're not a fan of that style, of that, you know, distinct NXT style and hitting all these big moves and uh, the near falls and the kickouts. I mean, it's hardly a style that is exclusive to NXT. AEW does it. Ring of Honor sort of uh, innovated it, for better or worse. Some people just don't like that style. They're not a fan of it. I don't see how you cannot be a fan, though, of the story, at least, that they were they were telling here in this match. And having the underdog babyface just finally win out in the end. Classic story. Just so happens the match happened to be incredible. Which leads us to number one. You may be thinking, well, wait a minute. I knew Salamaster. I knew that was your favorite NXT match of all time. And it was a great match. Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano, you know. Two out of three falls in front of that New York crowd. What could be better than that? Well, here's my number one match of the year. And what I feel was the match of the year in 2019. A match that uh, some of you probably never even saw. It was a match between Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi in the finals of New Japan's Best of the Super Juniors. When I talked about this match, and I did review this match... On Sound Off 603, I called it the best match that I had seen all year from any promotion. So this was after the NXT TakeOver match. I had already decided that this was a better match. And I said, best match I've seen all year so far from any promotion. That was in June. So we were barely halfway through the year. It wasn't even the end of June. We were barely through half the year at that point. Now as I sit here, the year is over. We're only a few days away from New Year's Day. And I can say that it remains the best match that I saw out of any promotion all year. Osprey last won the best of the Super Juniors tournament three years ago. Takagi was the favorite coming in. He was undefeated. 
since arriving in New Japan the previous October. This match came at a time when Osprey was battling depression. He had spoken openly about this being the worst year of his life on a personal level. It certainly wasn't having any ill effects on his in-ring work. If anything, it was making him an even better performer in the ring, whatever was going on in his life. My favorite spot out of the 33 minutes of this match came when Osprey countered a lariat attempt. Takagi went for a lariat, and somehow, and I don't quite understand how he did this, but Osprey countered that and flipped and landed on his feet and then executed this beautiful sit-out powerbomb. I mean, the sit-out powerbomb, we've seen Roman Reigns do it, and we've seen people do it. It, it. When you hit it, and the guy bounces off the mat. I mean, Keith Lee, it's it's kind of like the spirit bomb that Keith Lee does. But this was just, just a beautiful sit-out powerbomb. Uh, Osprey hit a top rope. Oscutter followed by the Stormbreaker for the win. Uh, there were a few women crying in the audience. That was probably me at WrestleMania after Kofi won his match. Yeah, you know, look, sometimes a little bit of that salty discharge, you know, starts uh, leaking out of your eyeballs. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When a pro wrestling match can have that effect on you, you know you're watching something special. I wasn't... Yeah, that didn't happen to me here. I'm just saying, in this match, he saw women crying, openly weeping, in the crowd when this match was over. It was after this match that Osprey took the mic. He got on the microphone. He announced that he was moving full-time from the UK to Japan to, in his words, carry New Japan on his back. And given the body of work that he has put together this year, it's hard to say that he hasn't done that. He's not as important as somebody like an Okada or a Tanahashi. But he may yet get there. He may yet get there. So there it is. That's my top 10 for 2019. Uh, I had to leave off a lot of good matches. You know, you guys, it's, it's tough to narrow it down to just 10. One thing we did get a lot of this year were a lot of great wrestling matches. There, and believe me, there were a ton of other New Japan matches. I wanted to put Becky and Sasha at Hell in a Cell because I really liked that match. But there's only so much space. There's only so much room on the uh, top 10 list. So we had five New Japan matches, which is half of this list. Two WWE main roster matches. Two NXT matches. And one AEW match. So that is the breakdown. That is the makeup of the top 10 list this year. Now my wrestler of the year. Who's my wrestler of the year for 2019? My wrestler of the year for 2019 is Will Ospreay. The matches that he had with everybody from Shingo to Lance Archer in the G1 to Ibushi, Tanahashi, Okada, 
Dragon Lee. I'm sure I'm missing some people. Nobody had a higher caliber of matches and more impressive showing in the ring this year than Will Ospreay. He toned down some of his super flashy stuff that he was doing to try to improve his uh, all-around game. He bulked up a little bit, not too much, but he's definitely bigger physically than he used to be. He is somebody that New Japan is going to be able to build around in 2020 and the years ahead. He is going to be that person. He also uh, developed a bromance on Twitter with uh, Randy Orton this year. And he was having a little fun back and forth with Seth Rollins until Rollins made that crack about how he made more money than Osprey, And therefore that was some kind of an indicator about uh, why he was better or, or who the best in the world was. Something he later apologized for. But the damage was done. He made a lot of stupid comments this year, Seth Rollins did, that did not do him any favors and in fact ended up turning him heel. <laughs> so we now have heel Seth Rollins on television, which I assure you we would not have right now if uh, the people didn't turn on him as, as much as they did. And part of the reason why is because he said some really stupid shit this year. So anyway, uh, it was an eventful year for Will Ospreay. It was an eventful year for Will Ospreay. Adam Cole... Or Chris Jericho would have been fine choices too. Uh, I mean, imagine what AEW would look like right now without Jericho. I'm not saying it would be awful, but I mean, Jericho as the champion in that spot, leading his own faction now, it's like everything revolves around the guy. He's been great. He's been great. AEW would be worse off had they gone with Hangman and didn't even have Jericho in the first place. So I think either one of them could have been a fine choice as well. Sports Illustrated named John Moxley as their choice for Male Wrestler of the Year. Now, you may scoff at that, but he wrestled for three different major promotions this year. He had the Big Shield send-off in WWE before he basically gave them the finger and said, Fuck you, I'm leaving. He had people talking for months about what his next move would be. That's all people would talk about is Moxley. I haven't heard people talk about one person this much since CM Punk. He generated a ton of buzz with his AEW debut. And he's had some terrific matches in New Japan. You know, I know some people love the the Lights Out match that he had with uh, Kenny Omega at Full Gear. I wasn't a big fan of it myself, but I know I may be in the minority on that. But I think you could absolutely make the case if you wanted to. For John Moxley as being the wrestler of the year. I wouldn't put him in that spot, but I wouldn't uh, call you crazy or stupid. If you tried to make the argument for it, I, I just cannot vote against the body of work that Will Ospreay put together. If that's really what we're going to base this on more than anything else, is the quality of the person's work and in-ring. And it's it's not always just about the in-ring. That's not just what Wrestler of the Year means. But like if you were to throw Adam Cole in my face, again, I went back and forth on this. And I, I look at Adam Cole and I said, well, why would people put Adam Cole in that spot? Because of the body of work, right? That he's put together and the matches that he's had this year against Johnny Gargano and against Matt Riddle and against Pete Dunne and against Daniel Bryan and in the War Games match. This guy has been on an incredible tear in 2019 in terms of his in-ring. But when you get beyond that, why would you? What what is it that you would prioritize him for over a guy like a Will Ospreay? If you were going to argue, Will Ospreay is not really the most important player you know, in the company. he It's not like if you remove him, New Japan falls apart. Well, I would argue the same thing about Adam Cole. It would be a, a blow if they lost him, but 
NXT is stockpiled with talent. They would go on just fine if Adam Cole, God forbid, went down with an injury of some kind. So I looked at the body of their work, and I just could not put anyone this year ahead of Will Ospreay. I said this months ago. I said he was in the running probably for Wrestler of the Year for me right now. It would be neck and neck with him and Adam Cole. I just think he wins out in that in that debate. Let's talk about Monday Night Raw from Des Moines, Iowa. They were taped. It was a taped show from Des Moines, Iowa, so technically two weeks ago. This show was the definition of a phone-in show for the holidays. Seven matches that you could reasonably call enhancement matches. Kevin Owens over Mojo Rawley. Drew McIntyre over Zack Ryder. Aleister Black over Dion Russman in 30 seconds. Buddy Murphy over Joassa in 30 seconds. Charlotte over Chelsea Green. Eric Rowan over Travis Horn. Rusev over No Way Jose in 30 seconds. I mean, look at this. Now, the good news is that at least it was it was all about character development. But that's just a lot of enhancement matches to have on one show. Seven? You know, the Alistair and the Buddy matches were done back-to-back as they were trying to show off. They were trying to one-up each other. Because they're going to be having a rematch on Raw tomorrow night that I'm looking forward to. I enjoyed their match at TLC. So they're having a match tomorrow night. And so this was kind of like, whatever you can do, I can do better sort of thing. So it was more storyline driven than anything else. And I have no problem with that. Uh, the piped in crowd noise throughout the show, that I did have a problem with. That That was awful. I mean, that was just terrible. And you know, to be fair, when I go back and I watch some of those syndicated shows from like 30 years ago, 25 years ago, Superstars, Wrestling Challenge, you say to yourself, man, I miss those crowds. And you look at those crowds sometimes, and you will see them clapping and moving, and you know that the reactions are genuine. But then there's other times. You're watching Mr. Perfect in the ring, or the Big Boss Man, or you know The Undertaker, Jake the Snake, whoever it was, whoever it is. And the crowd noise is so loud, and you look out into the crowd, and you see people sitting on their hands. And you realize, and you, I always knew they did this, but now when I go back and I watch this like on the network... It is startling to see how how obvious, and in some cases, just horrendously obvious it is, that they were piping in this awful, fake crowd noise. This is not a new phenomenon in WWE. When they used to tape Monday Night Raw, you know, back in the 90s, before they went live every single week, you know, it was the same thing then too. They've always done this. They've always sweetened the crowd noise. But you would think and hope they could do a better job of it. It was so blatantly obvious. Just, it was terrible. It was distractingly bad here on this show. Uh, They had a series of 24-7 title changes in New York City. They filmed this at Rockefeller Center, and then they went to Lincoln Center. It's right in the area where I work. Like, right there. I wish I knew what night they were filming this. I would have went strolling by. Tozawa pinned R-Truth to win the 24-7 title. Then a guy dressed as Santa Claus hit Tozawa with his sack and pinned him. And then because Santa is all fat and out of shape, he slowed down around. He was running away. And then they come back to him and he's he's by Lincoln Center now. And he's all out of shape. He's out of breath. He's out of shape. He can't run anymore. R-Truth ends up winning the title back from Santa Claus. And then referee John Cone 
who was outside. I don't know what the temperature was. It's actually been kind of mild here in New York. It was 50 degrees the other day. It hasn't been that cold. But it looked cold. You know, at night it gets cold. And John Cone's out there wearing a short sleeve referee shirt. And he gets pissed off. He goes, you know what? It's too cold to be out here. Screw this. I'm going home. And then we were left with no referee. And R-Truth and Tozawa. And they end up uh, calling a truce. And they walk off together. I, I'm over the 24-7 stuff. I, the whole point of it is it's meant to be a joke. So I always laugh when I see people going, oh, they're this is a disgrace. They're disgracing the title. That's the fucking point. The title was never meant to be taken seriously. But I'm over it because I, I've been saying there's no creativity to it. This, at least, I will give them credit for being somewhat creative. I like it when they go outside. Outside the building, outside the arena. They go to these like uh, fu- fun locations. It's still goofy, campy crap. It jumped the shark a long time ago. I don't find it entertaining 95% of the time. But this this was fine. I didn't mind this. You know, them wrestling around on the streets of New York City. I mean, it's not like it would have been 20 years ago where they would have brawled into a bar and there would have been a huge bar fight. That at least would be cool. This is just campy, corny, uh, you know, bullshit. But I do like it when they leave the venue and they go outside and they go to other places. So this was fine. This was just holiday shtick. I had no problem with it. We had Rey Mysterio in the main event defending his United States Championship against Seth Rollins ended in a disqualification with interference from AOP. That was lame, but to be expected, I guess. But it doesn't even matter. The match was just a backdrop for the angle that came afterwards. So they drag Rey Mysterio's carcass uh, onto the stage They're going to put him on the announce, or put him through the announce table. And Vic Joseph gets up and he bails, and Jerry Lawler gets up and he bails. And Samoa Joe, who's out there doing commentary, refuses to get up. He's like, you want me to get up? I'm here here doing my job. AOP is staring him down. Joe gets up. He's doing some trash talking, as only Samoa Joe can. And the people are into this, and and Seth comes over, he tries to defuse the situation and says, look, it's not about you, it's not about you. And as Seth turns to walk away, he mouths to AOP, finish him off. So they all gang up on Joe. The two of them, uh, you know, uh, Razor and Tokar over here, they gang up on Joe. And they put Joe through the announce table instead. Which basically ends his commentary gig. Apparently they're going to uh, debut a new announcer with Vic Joseph and Jerry Lawler tomorrow night on Raw. I I guess it's not going to be Dio Madden. So it's going to be somebody new. I don't know if it's going to be just another commentary person, if it's going to be a wrestler out of the Performance Center who's going to get a tryout as an announcer. I have no idea. I think it's completely unnecessary as far as always having to have a three-man booth. But remember, when Jerry Lawler came back, The understanding was he would only be back on a temporary basis. He was not meant to come back as a permanent addition to Monday Night Raw. So if the idea is that they want to bring in this new person and they want him or her to work with Lawler and do the three-man booth for a while and then when they feel this person is ready, Lawler can leave and can go away, then I understand it. Although Jerry Lawler is not exactly the announcer that he once was. But I'm sure there's little things that, you know, he he's able to give advice on and and you know cues from maybe the people in his ear or whatever. He can he can probably give this person some advice and help them out, I guess, in some way, but this whole three person announce booth 
nonsense has just, it's got to go. Look, if you have three people who work great together, if you have a great three-person booth, great. But it's not as though these teams they put together are so fantastic. I mean, Joe is great. I will miss Joe on commentary. I mean, he needs to get back in the ring. But I will miss his commentary because he was very good. And I think he's got a career. If he wants to do it, he clearly has a career for himself when his in-ring career is over. As an announcer, as an analyst. So who this new person is going to be, I guess we'll find out uh, tomorrow night. But this this was the best part of the whole show. Uh, I read about the angle from the spoilers the week before. And so I was anxious to see how it played out on TV. And I thought it played out great. And what it gives us, I assume, most likely is... Uh, maybe an alliance of sorts between Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens, both of whom now have bones to pick with AOP, and Seth Rollins. So maybe we end up getting a, a bunch of handicap matches uh, or tag matches of some kind against AOP with Rollins outside or something. But I'm all for a babyface alliance between Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe and Joe going out there and just ripping people to shreds. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And in fact, when I look ahead to the Royal Rumble... I would love to sit here and tell you that I my pick for the Royal Rumble in 2020 for the Men's Rumble is Samoa Joe. But I just can't, I can't see them doing it. I don't know if it would just be a case of they would be too gun-shy to do it because of his injury history, which, I, you know what, I can understand. I mean, he just got done with another injury. You know, I don't know how he injured his thumb. It was probably some fluky thing. But the fact is, yes, if you're Vince McMahon in WWE... I do think that has to factor into your thinking because Joe has had a lot of injuries. Do you trust that you could put all your eggs in the Samoa Joe basket, have him win the Royal Rumble, and go on to be in one of the championship matches at WrestleMania and, and you know believe that he won't get hurt between now and then? You are taking a risk. You are taking a chance if you do that. But I just... You know, we're probably a lot closer to the end of this guy's in-ring career than the beginning of it, clearly. And I've been waiting for the moment that he could just bust out and just be that guy. You know, he wrestled Brock Lesnar once before. He fell short. It was six minutes. But I remember thinking this was a pretty damn good uh, Smash Mouth kind of match. Didn't go very long. But the idea that Joe could, you know, go on to win the Rumble and then maybe he's the one to challenge Brock Lesnar. And maybe this time he beats Brock and wins the championship at WrestleMania. I wouldn't discount it as a possibility. I can't say that I, I actually think there's a, a very good chance of it happening. If it's me, though, that he'd be my favorite pick. You know, we still got a long time to go before we get to the Rumble, before we start doing Rumble predictions, but I'm just throwing that out there. If it's me, it's definitely something I'm considering, because this, this, this could be it. I mean, this is the moment for Joe to really break out as a babyface and kind of be that top A1, A2 guy on the Raw brand. Or do you do, or do you go with Kevin Owens? You know, are you shortchanging Kevin Owens by putting, let's say, Samoa Joe over him? Kevin Owens was supposed to get a WWE Championship match, supposedly, at WrestleMania last year. He was going to come back. Remember, he was doing the everyman thing for a while until they basically dropped that. And it was going to be Kevin Owens, I guess, against Daniel Bryan. I don't know if he would have won the championship or not, but then Kofi Kingston got hot. And they changed their plans. And they said, hey, you know what? We're going to go with Kofi Kingston. I don't even think Kevin Owens had a match this year at WrestleMania. Now, is he even in the running? Is he even under consideration for that spot this year? Because if they pull the rug out again from underneath this guy, boy, would that suck for him. So, you know, you have two options there in Joe and uh, and Owens. But 
I don't see an obvious opponent for Brock Lesnar right now at WrestleMania, and we're only a few months out. I don't want to hear about Cain Velasquez or Tyson Fury. I will vomit if it turns out to be Cain Velasquez or Tyson Fury. And I don't think it will be. But all I, I see these rumors, oh, Tyson Fury and Cain and Velasquez are the favorites to be Brock Lesnar's opponent at WrestleMania. That's garbage. I don't want to see either one of those guys anywhere near the WrestleMania main event. I would much rather it be a guy like Owens or Joe. Now, SmackDown on Friday night, I said they were in Detroit last week when they were actually in my own city. Like, it's one thing to get the city wrong and say, Raw this week was in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, when they were actually in St. Louis, Missouri. I said they were in Detroit. They were in Brooklyn, New York, which is where I live. That's pretty bad. I was one week ahead, though. That's where the confusion came in. I, I misread. I was one week ahead. This week, they were in Detroit, Michigan. And the show-long angle was based around Daniel Bryan, The Miz, and Baron Corbin, who were scheduled to have a triple threat match. The winner would go on to meet The Fiend Bray Wyatt for the championship at the Royal Rumble. So they were going to have this triple threat. They were going to open the show with it. They were going to open the show with this triple threat match. We had uh, Bryan, you know, Corbin came out. Bryan and Miz, Corbin came out. He's on his throne. And he doesn't want to do the match. Or he's talking about how, uh, not that he didn't want to do the match, but that he's, you know, Brian and Miz are terrible fathers and he's putting them down and everything else. Roman Reigns shows up. He attacks Baron Corbin. That's why Corbin did not want to do the match. He felt it was very unsafe, unsafe working conditions here. This guy's a maniac. He's coming after me. You know, he's backstage ranting to the agents. I want this match to be postponed. So this led to Baron Corbin being removed from the match. Daniel Bryan and The Miz were then having a singles match instead that was interrupted by Corbin's nameless uh, royal minions, which led to Baron Corbin then inserting himself back into the match after finding out that Roman Reigns was removed from the building. Now he felt safe, I guess. So... He ends up going back out there in the main event of wrestling. But this was just all, all, all night with this. All night with this angle. The start and start, the, the start and stop stuff with Brian and Miz and Corbin. You know what it was similar to? It was similar to what WWE did on Raw back in 1997. The night after Bret Hart won the championship in a fatal four-way match, he was going to defend it the very next night against Psycho Sid. To open the show. The show opened with Sid and then Bret Hart making their entrances for what was supposed to be a WWF title match. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin runs out before the match even starts to ruin the whole damn thing. He goes after Bret. Sid got his knee clipped by Austin. And he's screaming, damn it, damn it, damn it. So they postponed the match. They did an interview with Sid later on backstage. You're going to have to, I don't care if my leg is broken. You're not going to stop me from going out there and fulfilling my destiny and becoming the WWF champion. So they were going to have the match in the middle of the show, in the middle of this two-hour show. And we see Bret Hart, Bret, <laughs> I sound, I sound uh, like a Bostonian now. We see Bret Hart in the back. He had packed his car. Now, we see Bret Hart in the back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Which is kind of odd, right? That they would even show us Brett in the back. That should have been an angle alert right there. Of course, he gets jumped by Stone Cold backstage. And so the match is delayed again. And then finally, they bring them back out for the main event. And Austin ends up hitting Brett in the head with a chair and screws him out of the championship. So what that did was it furthered the feud between Bret Hart and Stone Cold, which led to one of the greatest matches in the history, not only of WrestleMania, but really that I Quit match is one of the greatest matches in the history of that company. Or submission match. I mean, it wasn't an I Quit match. It was a submission match. I don't expect that when we get that rematch here between Baron Corbin and Roman Reigns, that it's going to be the greatest anything. The greatest waste of time, maybe. So I was not a fan of this. We went from a triple threat to a singles match back to a triple threat that they were originally going to do. This was stupid. You know what all of this is leading to? If the live events are any indication, they are advertising a series. Not just one. They're advertising a series of loser eats dog food matches between Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin for some of the live events in February and possibly January as well. But I know for sure there's two events in February where that is being advertised for those shows. I guess that's their way of trying to reverse their slumping ticket sales. Good luck with that. Maybe they should do what a lot of these minor league baseball teams do. And have a, uh, a bark in the park night. And let people bring their pooches to the house shows. And to the live events. You have to buy a ticket for them though. So they have to, they get a seat too. That way you can sell more seats that way. Reigns, by the way, is wrestling Dolph Ziggler. Or uh, as Rusev once called him, Dog Ziggler. He's wrestling Ziggler again, this time on Steve Harvey's New Year's Eve special on Fox. They taped the match. They're not going to have a ring somewhere. They already taped the match. They taped it after SmackDown on Friday. And, uh, well, I'll let, I'll let you guess who wins. Sami Zayn had his first match since August, tagging with Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro against Braun Strowman in the New Day, although Sami really didn't do anything outside of uh, grabbing someone's leg. Uh, Kofi hit Nakamura with a pancake tray, and Strowman power slammed him and pinned him, which sets up, or it should set this up because he pinned the champion, sets him up for an intercontinental title match. They were going to do that match at TLC, but Strowman was not uh, cleared from his, uh, whatever it was, hip injury, back injury, whatever it was. Imagine if Braun Strowman, for all the times that he had championship opportunities at the Universal title and he failed... Imagine if this guy gets an intercontinental title match with Shinsuke Nakamura and he still can't win the title. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, you almost think he has to win. 
If they do this match, how does he not walk out as the new champion and still have any credibility left whatsoever? How? Explain that to me. Because he became a laughingstock, a walking punchline for never winning the championship, for never winning the big one. So now if he challenges for the title second down and he still can't win... I mean, I guess he's always got the uh, the tag team title he won with uh, nine-year-old Nicholas, I suppose. When they put him into the Hall of Fame, that'll be his big claim to fame. He won tag team titles at a WrestleMania with a nine-year-old. Congratulations. I mean, hell, if you put Braun in, you may as well put Nicholas in the Hall of Fame. You may as well put him in there together. So after the match, Kofi got Braun to shake those hips and dance. So he's uh, Rikishi now. And the fans enjoyed this well enough. I don't Look, I don't have a problem with him showing off more of his personality. Uh, it's been a long time since they've done the monster stuff where he was flipping over ambulances and buses and pulling down the, the, the screen and the stage and doing all these feats of strength. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen those days of Braun Strowman. So whatever. That's my attitude towards it. Whatever. You know, I'm not a total stick in the mud. They want to show off more of his personality, be my guest. Plus, you know that if Andre was around today, he'd be in there dancing right next to him. That's just the way it is. They don't protect these guys the way they would have back then. If a guy like Braun Strowman came along in 1984, it would just be a very different world. It would just be very different. It would be very different. They don't protect these these giants. They don't protect these big guys like they would have... All those years ago, it was just a different era of wrestling, you know? Andre had the benefit of not being around with five hours of television to fill. If Vince McMahon had five hours of television to fill, even in the mid-80s, believe me, Andre would have been a dancing fool on those shows before long. In the back, Sonya Deville was signing autographs when Mandy Rose asked her to come on out with her and walk her out for her match with Carmella. And Sonya pointed out that Mandy... Wasn't in her corner last week for her match. But Mandy said, look, I was covered in, in Otis's sweat. What do you want from me? So Sonya said, all right, fine. Let me finish what I'm doing here and then I'll meet you out there. And Mandy turns around and there's Otis. And Otis gave her a cake that his mother baked, which she seemed to genuinely appreciate. He also apologized for getting his uh, ham sweat on her last week. So Carmella then goes and beats Mandy Rose. There, there's your review of that match, by the way. <laughs> the match is the least important part of all this. The match is the least important part of all this. So backstage later on, Dolph Ziggler walks up to Mandy as she was holding the cake in her hand that Otis had given her from his mom. And he asks her, you know, hey, what are your plans for New Year's Eve? And he's flirting with her. By the way, he's got plans for New Year's Eve. He's wrestling Roman Reigns. And he's flirting with her. He's making a pass at her. I can't blame him. So Ziggler, you know, she says, oh, this is a cake from Otis. His mom baked it. And Ziggler says, hey, let me see. And he takes the cake and he puts the cake gently on the floor and he steps on it with his brand new sneakers because he's an idiot. These were brand new sneakers that he was wearing. He steps on it. Gets cake shit all over his foot. That's what cakes are made of, by the way. Cake shit. Otis later on walks by. Apparently they have no janitors in the building. The cake is still smeared all over the floor. And poor Otis walks by and he sees the cake that his mother baked on the floor. That was heartbreaking. This was the most heartbreaking moment of the night. 
second only to uh, whatever the nonsense was they did with the start and stop with the Baron Corbin matches. That that broke my heart too. This is, and I'm not joking when I say this. This is not a joke. This is not meant to be funny. This is the best storyline going on right now in all of WWE. Otis's obsession with Mandy dates back to last year when he was still in NXT. It was just something he started doing on his own and he would gawk over her when she would post hot photos of herself on social media and stuff. And it was kind of creepy, but it was funny. He even dressed up like her in a Halloween battle royal at one of the NXT live events. If you dare to go find the photos of it, there are photos of this. There might be video too, but there's definitely photos of him dressed up as Mandy Rose if you can visualize this. Uh, Just be prepared. No amount of bleach will be able to uh, bleach this uh, image from your memories. So now, so it was just a silly thing that he started, and now it's been turned into a storyline on television. And it's the best one that they have going. They're still dropping subtle hints of a split uh, or tension between Mandy and Sonya. I wouldn't break them up, personally, if that's where this is headed. Uh, But I also thought that they were possibly breaking up Andrade and Zelina and hoping that they weren't. And it looks like that uh, they may be safe for now. So hopefully Mandy and Sonya never actually split. But, you know, I was thinking about this. And imagine, they play this Otis and Mandy thing out a few more months, as they should. Take their time with it, play it out. She could even end up in the next few weeks being in Otis's corner. You know, maybe next week. You know, Otis wants to find out what happened. And Mandy's like, oh, it was Dolph Ziggler. Dolph stepped on your mom's cake. And that leads to a match on TV between Ziggler and Otis. And maybe Mandy is even in Otis's corner or something. You could do that too. But play this out for a few more months. Play the long game on this. And in the end, maybe Mandy falls for him. She takes a liking to him. You know, Otis is like the everyman here trying to get the, uh, trying to get the girl, trying to get the hot girl. And imagine if he gets her. So then we have wedding bells. Because it's wrestling, so of course it has to lead to a wedding eventually. They're not going to have a long engagement. (laughs) Let's say it leads to a wedding. Sonya, as they're approaching this wedding date, she just can't understand any of this. And she's trying to, even maybe subtly, she's trying to talk Mandy out of this. Like, are you sure this is what you want to do? I don't know. You know, do you know what you're doing? Anyway, wedding day arrives. You got the priest or the judge or Eric Bischoff under a latex mask, whoever it is, officiating the ceremony. Announces that anyone who has any objections, speak now or forever hold your peace. And Sonia, the bridesmaid, Sonia comes forward. I can't let you do this. I can't hold my tongue. I can't let you do this. And in that moment, you almost think that she's, maybe she's got feelings herself for Otis. I guess that would be the swerve. But I said this to somebody online. I said, not everything has to be a giant swerve. Sometimes things just play out the way you expect them to, and it's fantastic. So in that moment, maybe you think she's got feelings for Otis, but instead she turns to Mandy and says, look, I I can't stand by and watch this. I'm in love with you. She's in love with Mandy. I mean, they started teasing something on television months ago between these two. That had overtones of this and then they just sort of dropped it. So it's not like it wouldn't make any sense. You're just picking up with something they started months ago. And here's what's great about it also. What's great about it is that if you want, 
after that, and, and by the way, Otis and Mandy would never get married. The whole point of this is not to marry them. It's just sort of a means to an end for the storyline. But what's great about it is that if you want, if you want to take this in a totally different direction, here you can you can do that. Here's what you do. You can end up exposing it all as part of a plan that was hatched between Mandy and Sonia. She was never going to marry Otis. They were just fucking with the guy. And Mandy is as superficial as everybody thinks she is after all. Mega heat. You can go in that direction too if you want to. It's just hard. The only problem with with an angle like this is that it's hard to envision what options Otis would have to get back at them short of just smashing them both into the ground, <laughs> which obviously he can't do. That's the thing. You, you know, you, like you do a storyline like this where someone gets wronged and the guy just, you know, it becomes like this blood feud and the guy goes after the other guy and beats the shit out of him. Otis is not going to go beat the shit out of Mandy Rose. That's just not going to, that's not how this works. You know, but that's, uh, again, that that's only if you didn't want to go all the way with the Mandy and Sonya stuff and you wanted to have some kind of swerve there at the end, you could do that. Uh, you could just have Sonya reveal her true feelings for Mandy. But the stuff with Mandy and Otis is so simple, yet it's so effective. I love it. It's an easy story to follow. Otis is the most likable guy in the world. You want you just want to wish the best for this guy. You know, he he's so happy when he's got his ham or he's got his cake you know, or he's around Mandy and he's sweating bullets and, you know, you just, he's such a likable guy. You want to see him succeed. It's relatable. Otis is not going to be, is never going to be a world champion in WWE. The, the, the point of this is not to get Otis over as the, the guy who's going to beat Brock Lesnar or something like that. Although he is a very talented, athletic guy and very powerful. I just don't see him, I don't see him ever going on to that level. But he's over. The people like him. And I like that they're doing this this little, almost like a side story with him on TV. And I think you gotta, you, you gotta play it out. Because it's the best story they've got going. We had a Moment of Bliss segment with Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross interviewing Lacey Evans. Who talked about Sasha Banks harassing her six-year-old daughter. She went to the ring for a tag team match then. She was teaming with Dana Brooke against Sasha and Bailey. Sasha tapped out Dana with the bank statement for the win. Uh, this was fine. You know, I'm enjoying babyface uh, Lacey more than I did heel Lacey, although I did enjoy heel Lacey more on social media. But uh, babyface Lacey so far as the defender of, of her of her daughter is uh, is fun to watch. And then we had Brian Miz and Corbin. Roman Reigns came back out, took out Corbin. And so he actually took out Dolph Ziggler as well, mid-match. So that left Brian and The Miz to uh, duke it out the last few minutes here. And I thought the match was good. It had the correct outcome. That is Brian tapping out Miz to yes lock to earn the championship rematch he's been wanting with The Fiend at the Royal Rumble for the Universal title. And poor Miz, though. I mean, even with an assist from Roman Reigns, they couldn't have Corbin be the one to eat the pin here. It had to be Miz tapping out after losing the way he did to Bray Wyatt at TLC. The quicker they send John Morrison to SmackDown, the quicker Miz will have something to do. And uh, the WrestleVotes account, I'll mention this, on uh, Twitter, claims through a source that the 2021 Royal Rumble is likely to be held at T-Mobile Park in Seattle, Washington, the home of the Seattle Mariners. I guess it's uh, all baseball stadiums for the Royal Rumble going forward now. T-Mobile Park is the former Safeco Field, which was... It just got renamed this year. I think a year ago in January uh, 2019. It was renamed from Safeco to T-Mobile Park. It played host to WrestleMania 19. And the 
final match of uh, Stone Cold. Stone Cold Steve Austin's last match. So even though Daniel Bryan is likely to fall short against The Fiend at the Royal Rumble in 2020, with them being in Seattle in 2021, that makes him the early favorite to win the Royal Rumble match. We all know what happens when people have expectations about Daniel Bryan winning the Royal Rumble match. So get ready for a shit show in 2021. There was no AEW Dynamite this past week. They are back on New Year's Day with a live show from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. The same venue they use for Fight for the Fallen this summer, uh, which is an outdoor venue. It looks really nice, actually. It looks very unique. Uh, It'll be a unique setting, I think, for a Dynamite show. That means that I will be back live on YouTube after the show for my review, which technically will be my first sound off of 2020, uh, entering what will be my 13th year of doing this. 13 is an unlucky number. I'm hoping that's not an omen for a year of bad wrestling. Taz will be making a guest appearance on the show, uh, on Dynamite, not my show. Not as their new authority figure. That's been the rumor going around the last several days. AEW has no plans for an on-air authority figure, nor do they need one. He'll be filling in for Tony Schiavone, who will be calling Georgia Bulldogs football on the radio as they're playing in the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Day. He will be missed. John Moxley will be in action against Trent Beretta, and he'll also uh, respond, I believe he'll respond, to Chris Jericho's offer to join the inner circle, and Jericho has promised some sort of surprise for Moxley. It better be a bill for $15,000 for that light bright jacket that Moxley destroyed. Then the two of them can share a flight to Tokyo. Uh, Because they have to fly out for uh, Wrestle Kingdom right after the show. MJF will reveal his stipulations for a match with Cody Rhodes. Cody takes on Darby Allin. Dustin Rhodes takes on Sammy Guevara. And Kenny Omega will team with the Young Bucks to take on Pac and the Lucha Bros. Riho was to have defended her AEW women's title against Chris Statlander, who is undefeated and number one in their women's rankings. Until Friday, when AEW announced that due to prior commitments, Statlander will not be in Jacksonville to face Riho for the championship. That prior commitment is for Joey Ryan at a bar wrestling event in Los Angeles, which AEW evidently was not aware of until after she had already signed and they had already announced the title match. Uh, Tony Khan said, Rather than force Chris to choose between her title shot or keeping her word on a commitment that she made before signing here, we are allowing her to do both. And by that he means she'll still get her title match, but on a different date. And that's nice and all. That's very uh, nice of him to say that. But how did they not know about this? Statlander was retweeting bar wrestling tweets a few days before advertising her match. So it's not like this was some kind of state secret or something. But if she didn't inform AEW about the date, that's on her. She has to let them know so they can avoid any conflicts like this. You know, she beat Britt Baker on the last live Dynamite that they did on December 18th. Okay, and on that same show, later on that same night, they made the announcement that she was going to get a championship match on New Year's Day against Riho. And an entire week, a week plus, went by. She obviously knew about it. And it makes AEW look bad now. Although I do appreciate them being honest about the situation. At least they didn't try to bullshit us. Uh, 
but it makes them look bad when you say that this woman, who was supposed to be challenging for your title, has prior commitments elsewhere that I guess are way more important to her than your women's championship. But, you know, again, at least they were honest about it. They didn't even try to pass it off as, as like, an angle. Like, look, they, they shot an angle on the last Dynamite that we saw after Statlander's match. There was a high-heel shoe attack by Brandy Rhodes. She took a high-heel shoe to Chris Statlander's eyeball. There was no mention of that at all in any of this. They're just, I guess, completely ignoring that. So instead, there will now be a fatal four-way this Wednesday with Riho defending her championship against the number two, number three, and number four ranked women on the roster. Britt Baker, Hikaru Shida, and Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose, who was recently suspended for her actions on television, is now uh, getting a championship opportunity here. Whoever walks out of that match as the champion will then defend the title against Chris Statlander on the January 8th episode of Dynamite, barring any other commitments that she maybe still has not told them about. Uh, This will be Riho's first title defense since Full Gear on November 9th, her first AEW match at all since November 13th. So almost two months she's been out of action. I don't think she's been hurt, but she just hasn't been in action. She hasn't wrestled a match in, in nearly two months for them. One person who would very much like to help out AEW is Vince Russo. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Maybe he can work with their talent to make sure they're not double booked in the future. Schedule on a poll, bro. Schedule on a poll, bro. That way we can avoid... Situations like this in the future, bro. You can't double book yourself, bro. Dixie Carter and TNA would never stand for this. Vince McMahon would have your head, bro, if you even tried to do something like that. Schedule on a poll, bro. I'm sorry. Uh, He tweeted last week, Russo did, that he wants to be part of the solution and not the problem. He said, I just followed at Tony Khan and at Cody Rhodes to see if they're interested in free advice from someone who is very successful at doing what they are trying to do. Not interested in a job, he says, just the health of the business. Three days later, he said, yet to get a response. (laughs) This is like the guy who's like texting the girl. They go out on a date and, uh, or maybe they don't even go on a date. Maybe they matched on like a dating app or something. And he's messaging her and not getting any response. So he says, three days later, he says, yet to get a response. Invite still open to Cody Rhodes and Tony Khan. Following you on Twitter. 
feel free to follow back for free advice. I want to help make pro wrestling healthy again. Not interested in a job, just trying to do the right thing. Offer expires December 31st. Now, if you got an unsolicited tweet or an email from someone saying, follow back for free advice, offer expires 1231, you would do what Cody Rhodes and Tony Khan have probably already done, which is why they haven't responded, and you would mute that person or block them because you would probably think it was like a bot or something. I love how there's an expiration date on the end of this supposed good advice. The advice is only good up until December 31st. This message will self-destruct in one week, bro. Uh, Anyway. NXT. NXT aired taped matches from Full Sail and the Barclays Center in Brooklyn this week. Uh, Mara Ronaldo and Nigel McGuinness called the Full Sail matches. Tom Phillips and Beth Phoenix called the matches from Brooklyn. Two-person announce boots for one night only. How nice it was. How nice it was. Some highlights here. These were not all of the matches. I'm not going through all the matches here. There was a North American Championship Open Challenge. Roderick Strong throwing down the gauntlet. Anybody who wants to come on out and challenge me for the title, come on down. And out came former Evolve Champion Austin Theory. Young guy. He's only 22, I think. 22 or 23 years old. Out comes Austin Theory. Making his NXT debut. He signed with WWE back in August. And he looked impressive. I thought the match with him and Roddy was very good. You know, he lost. He fell short. But in defeat, I thought he had a very good accounting of himself. And, you know, he's got a great look. I've I've seen some limited talking from him from stuff I've seen in Evolve. And from what I've seen, he's, he's, he seems like a good talker as well. I can't really comment too much on his promo ability because I just haven't seen enough of it. <clears throat> but if he's got good talking and he's as good as the ring as he was here against Roddy and it wasn't just Roddy making him look good, uh, he's going to have a real future. He's going to be a real player on that roster. I just think we haven't seen enough out of him yet to really determine is it all just looks and there's really not much else below the surface or is there something there? I think we just have to let it play out and see. But this this was very good. Uh, speaking of Evolve uh, alum or alumni, uh, or at least someone who passed through Evolve, Shotzi Blackheart made her NXT debut uh, in a losing effort to Bianca Belair. Also a good showing, I thought, for uh, Shotzi. Can't, can't say Shotzi without thinking and wanting to just scream out, Yahtzee! I'm going to resist. It's going to be hard. I'm going to resist trying to do that every time I say this woman's name. Uh, Arturo Hua, the former Adrian Jaoud, who they sent to Evolve for some seasoning. He looks like that guy from Street Fighter. What was the guy from Street Fighter that he looks like? Uh, Oh, my God. What was the guy's name? Am I thinking? Who am I thinking of? Am I thinking of Zangief? I feel like Zangief. I'm thinking of Rusev. Who does this guy remind me of? Ah, whatever. Anyway, he's on his way back. He got a vignette on this show. There's a heavy Evolve presence on NXT this week. Not only uh, the package for him and Shotzi and uh, Austin Theory. You could also throw in Tony Nese, who wrestled for Evolve. And Keith Lee, who wrestled for Evolve as well. They were on opposing sides of the main event. Lee tagging with Leo Rush to take on Tony Nese and Damian Priest. 
there was a pounce spot in this match where Tony Nese was chasing after Leo Rush and he was going towards the announce table and Keith Lee came out of nowhere and pounced the fuck out of this guy and knocked him just sailing over the announce desk. It was great. It wasn't as great as the Adam Cole pounce where he literally, we just lost him. He went out of camera view into the audience. That is one of the NXT highlights of 2019. Uh, but these these pounce spots where he can just, you know, send the guy into orbit. They're so much fun to watch. They also recreated, uh, by the way, when he did so, Nice uh, hit Tom Phillips and knocked Tom Phillips out of his chair. So he nearly took out Tom Phillips. They recreated the Keith Lee uh, Loch Ness monster spot here with uh, Lee and Damian Priest this time. Only this time when Lee rose up, he was wearing a Santa Claus hat. He looked decidedly less intimidating than he did when he did that same spot with Finn Balor a few months ago. And uh, Keith Lee and Leo Rush went on to pick up the win here. And maybe Lee and Rush, maybe uh, entering the Dusty Classic, I guess we'll find out. We'll we'll find out the teams that are going to be involved in the 2020 Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. They will be announced on New Year's Day. I don't know if we're getting a first-run episode of NXT or not. I kind of think we're not. We're definitely getting a first-run live uh, showing for Dynamite. I don't know that there's really much of an NXT show this week. I kind of feel like they're back... They're back in the saddle on January, uh, I guess, what would it be, January 8th? So uh, I, I don't know I don't know uh, what their plans are for NXT on New Year's Day. But my sense is, really, Christmas and New Year's, they kind of take off in a way. And then they come back that, uh, that next week. So I think that's what's going to happen with NXT. We also learned that the main event of this Worlds Collide event they're doing, Royal Rumble weekend, January 25th, we're not getting an NXT TakeOver until February. Uh, that event is going to stand on its own. I think uh, February 16th, I want to say, maybe is the date of that show. But January 25th, they're doing this Worlds Collide NXT versus NXT UK thing. And the main event has been announced. It will be Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish taking on all of the members of Imperium. So Walter, Fabian Eichner, Marcel Bartel, and Alexander Wolf. So we're going to get that uh, Imperium Undisputed Era match that there was there was some talk maybe that would be the War Games main event at the uh, TakeOver War Games event in November. And uh, that did not happen. So this will not be War Games, but I, I suspect this will be a very good match. This could be to NXT what that first match or first matches were between the Shield and the Wyatt family. Those were special matches. I think this could be something special as well. For the uh, NXT brand. NWA Power. This was a special holiday week episode of Power. And episode 2 of the new season. Opened with uh, Trevor Murdoch announcing that he had been signed to a contract. They finally have signed him to an NWA contract. And everybody cheered. Uh, They had that guy Zicky Dice was out there. He's in the NWA TV title tournament. Zicky Dice is out there. And he's talking about partying after his big win last week over... C.W. Anderson and uh, and their other opponent, whose name I forgot. So as uh, he's talking, out comes the Pope. And no, I'm not talking about the Pope. That would have been quite the get for the NWA. I'm talking about the Pope, D'Angelo De Niro, the former Elijah Burke. I haven't heard his name mentioned in a very long time. He comes out and 
He is now in the NWA, and he's here to create change, and he wants to form his own new, uh, his new faction, his new version of, like, what the Four Horsemen used to be, and I guess the Pope is in the NWA, and he's looking to recruit. He did commentary for uh, one of the TV title tournament matches, and, you know, Pope Pope's a good talker, so if he's in, I think he's a, he's a good addition. They have him managing, maybe he puts his own group together, I think that could be fun. We had Ricky Starks and Eddie Kingston in an NWA TV title tournament match. Six minutes and five seconds are the time limits for the 6.05 start time. So that's the time limit for each of these TV title matches. Uh, Ricky Starks picks up the win. He moves on. We got a very weird segment here I did not like. Uh, They had one half of the uh, wild cards uh, tag team. So Royce Isaacs comes out and he has this woman with him. She's all tatted up. And he says, I want to welcome the newest member to the National Wrestling Alliance. Her name is Mae Valentine. I have never seen or heard from this woman or of this woman before. I have no idea if she's a wrestler or just some woman they brought in. I assume she's got a wrestling background, but... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I tried to search for her and I didn't find a damn thing. So if you find something, then by all means, let me know. Uh, I don't know what her background is. But I guess they're in a relationship now, and I was completely distracted, not by this, uh, not by the woman or anything else. What I was distracted by was the fact that this guy was clearly reading off of a script the entire time. Now, if you, if you pay attention, when Dave Marquez is out there, he's also reading off a piece of paper. He'll glance down a lot, and it, it's kind of distracting, to be honest with you, when he does this. But there's a piece of paper on the desk that has a, a bunch of writing on it, and Isaac's for half the segment, is looking down at the desk, clearly reading off of this piece of paper. And I just said, you know, it wasn't like some long, detailed promo that he had to go out there and do. And one of the things I like about the NWA is these promos, by and large, feel very organic. They don't feel like someone reading from a script. I guess some people just need it. But it wasn't like there was a whole lot for him to memorize here. And I'm watching this guy and the whole time. He's not looking at me. He's not looking at the audience. He's not looking at Dave Marquez. He and Marquez are looking down at this piece of paper like, and they're just reading. I thought this was terrible. I thought this was a terrible segment. And it was incredibly distracting. And it's the complete opposite of what I, I like out of the NWA, which is when guys come out to cut promos, they're not looking down at a piece of paper. They're not going back in their head and you can see all the gears are going and they're trying to, you know, what are my lines here? I got to try to memorize my lines. You know, I, I I don't watch the NWA so far for the best wrestling on TV all week. That's not what you're going to get from the NWA from these weekly shows. You might get it from the pay-per-view. But the matches on NWA Power, they're short matches. They're not uh, particularly great or anything like that. They're, They're good. They're fine. A lot of them are very brief. I watch the show for the character development and the promos. And here's this guy reading off a piece of paper. So this was uh, this, this this was no good. James Storm did come out. 
I guess uh, Mr. Isaacs wanted to prove that he can hang as a single star. He wanted to prove himself to uh, May Valentine. And uh, he did a very poor job. Out came James Storm. And uh, he beat Isaacs around enough where Isaacs ended up taking a powder. And I will say this. James Storm was counting along with the referee when the referee was counting out Royce Isaacs. And he did the best count out. The, the best count to 10. He got the crowd into it. When the referee counted to 10, like everybody cheered. Like it was a, like it was a big deal when he counted to 10. I thought that was great. Eli Drake came out. This was uh, <laughs> this was something else. You know, I just got done talking about Royce Isaacs reading off of a script and how awful it was. I cannot sit here and shit on what Eli Drake came out here and did. And I'm not quite sure what he was doing. Uh, he looked plastered. Was it a put-on? Was he pretending to be drunk? Or was he actually uh, three sheets to the wind? I'm not sure. If he wasn't, he did a damn good job of acting like it. He had a bottle of wine, a little bit of the bubbly... In his hand, the bottle looked like it was half empty. So clearly somebody was drinking some of this stuff. And it may have been Eli Drake. They may have just said, hey, listen, we we need you to come out there. And the point of this segment is that you've been uh, doing some drinking for the holidays. So maybe he's a method actor. And he actually said, well, the only way to really uh, pretend I'm drinking is if I'm drunk. So give me a few minutes and I'll down half this bottle. And he sure sounded like it. He was out there and I don't know what he was talking about. He was talking about his shoes. He was talking about his jacket. Josephus came out dressed up as Santa Claus with some woman and they were singing Christmas carols. Did a pretty good job too, I have to say. Josephus is not a bad singer. And uh, Eli Drake went over with the bottle in hand and he joined in and he was singing as well. So Nick Aldis and Camille and the Wild Cards come out for a, uh, a promo. And Aldis has gifts for everybody in his group. Track jackets for everybody. Very nice of him. And Dave Marquez asked him about Camille. And Aldis looks at his watch and said, all right, who had one minute? (laughs) It took all of one minute for Dave Marquez to mention Camille here in this promo. And Aldis is is talking about the attack on Tim Storm. And then they bring up Ricky Morton. If you remember, Ricky Morton had some comments about Nick Aldis the week before. He said, well, Nick Aldis, I wouldn't exactly put him in the category of Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair and Harley Race. You know, but otherwise, he was complimentary of Nick Aldis. And Nick Aldis said, uh, I want to call out Ricky Morton. I want to call out the Rock and Roll Express. Out come the Rock and Roll Express dressed in their street clothes. And Aldis wants Ricky Morton to clarify what he was saying the week before. And Ricky Morton said, look, I just gave my opinion. You know, I, I just gave my opinion. You've spent two years now building up the NWA, but you've got a ways to go. You know, Ric Flair and Harley Race and these guys and us, the Rock and Roll Express, we spent our entire lives building up this place. And he said, look, I will apologize if I offended you and it's the holidays and so I'm going to be the bigger man. And he put his hand sh- he put his hand out for a handshake and all this just left him with a warning. And he said, you saw what happened with James Storm and with Tim Storm? Think very carefully, Ricky Morton. Before you open your mouth about me again. So I thought this segment was uh, very good. I thought. Uh, Aldis in this role. Now that his role has really been defined. And he's somebody that uh, people are expected to hate. I think it's good that they've kind of clarified. And he's not on the borderline. You know, should we cheer him? Should we boo him? There's no doubt now about where he stands. And uh, I just thought this was this was well done. And now... it. Probably sets up for the Rock and Roll Express, maybe with Eli Drake, to do uh, six mans against Aldis and the Wild Cards. I would assume we'll see something like that uh, at some point on TV. 
We had Molina, Marty Bell, and Thunder Rosa against ODB, Allison Kay, and Ashley Vox. Uh, Molina, Marty Bell, and Thunder Rosa picked up the win. It was actually uh, Thunder Rosa who got the win for her team with the stipulation that whoever got the winning fall would be able to challenge any member of the opposing team in a singles match. I believe that was the stipulation. And so they go over to Dave Marquez, and it looks like, you know, it looks like uh, Thunder Rosa is going to pick Allison Kay. Allison Kay is the women's champion, so of course she would pick Allison Kay. Melina jumps in, though, and says she picks uh, ODB. Thunder Rosa goes, oh, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I pick ODB. So it looks like Melina doesn't want anybody else challenging for the championship, and there could already be some cracks in the armor here. These three women just came together as a group, and already these last two weeks we've seen uh, we've seen them yelling at Marty Bell backstage, and now here, Melina is uh, interfering in Thunder Rosa's decision about who she's going to challenge next week. So it's going to be Thunder Rosa against ODB. Then came the best part of the entire show, and I would even argue the best thing I saw on wrestling television all week. Tim Storm is going to be wrestling Nick Aldis. He'll be able to get revenge on Aldis. It's going to be part of the NWA TV title tournament next week. Storm is out there, and he starts cutting a promo. And he's talking about his mother, Mama Storm. He says, you know, Mama Storm turned 95 years old last week, and that's a shoot. And so he spent time with his mother. And she's retired now. I would, I mean, 95 years old, for God's sakes, I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know some people are bad off in this country, but if you got to work at 95, that's, that's pretty fucked. So he's spending time with his mother and she's retired now. And, uh, that makes Tim Storm wonder himself, you know, how much longer he's going to go on. But she didn't retire until she was 78 years old. His mother worked until she was 78. And Tim Storm said that the reason that she kept on working wasn't to uh, make money. It was because she felt she still had something left to prove. And that was sort of the theme of this promo. You know, when people look back and they say, hey, it's the Dusty Rhodes hard time promo. They kind of, there's titles given to them, right? This was, this was Tim Storm's something left to prove promo is what this was. He says he got his work ethic from his mother. You know, and, and her continuing to work uh, late into life. Talked about how his father left when he was a kid. And she went to work every day, even if she didn't want to, even if she was sick. Because, as I said, she had something left to prove. And she put her hand on Tim's uh, shoulder and said, you've got something left to prove. And this is a woman who, he said, would be perfectly content if I never wrestled again. And is not necessarily the biggest fan of him continuing to do pro wrestling. But she said to him, you've got something left to prove. And then he paraphrased an old Dusty Rhodes promo where he talked about how my belly might be a little bit big and my honey might be a little bit big. And here he said, my body might be a little bit old and it might be a little bit broken down, but I'm bad and they know I'm bad. And he says, I'll be Mama Storm's baby boy until the day I die, but we've got something left to prove. He got a standing ovation for this. And you've got to watch it to really appreciate the fire and the passion. Because every promo we've seen from Tim Storm up to this point, who I think is the best babyface in all of wrestling, he's very mild-mannered. You know, he's not, he doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't yell and scream. He's a very mild-mannered, 
Just a nice guy is how he comes off. This was the most fire I've seen out of him to date in any promo that I've seen from him. At least since the Power Show started. He got a standing ovation from the people in the studio for this. He is the best babyface in all of wrestling right now, is Tim Storm. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The man had tears in his eyes during the promo. His eyes were red. They were welling up as he was cutting this promo. He's like an old superhero who knows that he's past his peak, but he's got one last evil villain to take down. That's Tim Storm. He's the best. Main event was the question mark against Colt Cabana. NWA TV title tournament match. The question mark picks up the win. And uh, the question mark is still is still over. People haven't moved on to the exclamation point yet or the apostrophe. They're still into the question mark. And the show ends with a backstage promo with he and Shooter Stevens saying how they're going to take all the belts. They're going to win all the belts. And the question mark is going to, you know, he's going to win with his karate. And question mark takes the microphone. He goes, karate. And they go off the air. So I thought this was a very enjoyable episode. They didn't phone it in. I didn't know if it was going to be combination highlights and other stuff, you know, for the holidays. But it's a first run show. They're moving storylines along, and if you do nothing else, and I know there's some people who don't watch NWA or they don't necessarily hate it, but they don't have time for it. If you do nothing else, I implore you, go find the Tim Storm promo. It came later on in the show. Find the Tim Storm promo and watch this promo. You know, it may not be as good if you don't know the background behind the guy. You know, he's in his 50s now. He's a school teacher uh, by day who became the NWA champion and went on this run and and you know the biggest run of his career. He's been in wrestling for for decades, but he finally got a run as the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion uh later in life. And he lost the championship. And in fact, on NWA Power uh early in the first season, he lost uh a match to uh Nick Aldis. He lost the ability to ever again challenge for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. We'll see how they get around that in the future. But that's the storyline right now. And he's been second-guessing himself a lot on television. You know, i got to make a lot of decisions about my future. You know, am I done? Do I retire? And it was Nick Aldis who was actually giving him words of encouragement and saying, no, 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 don't make any rash decisions. You helped build this place just like I did. And then came the heel turn. And now he's all fired up. And so that's the context behind the promo. But if nothing else, watch that promo. This was just great babyface pro wrestling 101 looking for revenge got something to prove everybody loves this guy he is the best babyface in all of wrestling right now it's time for this week's rspw rewind the final rewind of 2019 takes us back to the year 1995 the year i nearly stopped watching wwe altogether it was so boring Leading up to WrestleMania 11. The night after WrestleMania, 
Shawn Michaels, fresh off his loss to Diesel, stood in the ring with Vince McMahon and gave his bodyguard, Sid, the night off. Which did not sit very well with Sid. Because Sid had played a role in the championship match of WrestleMania. Arguably, may have cost Shawn Michaels the title. And so Shawn was saying, look, Big Sid, in this rematch, whenever the rematch is, you got the night off. So Sid did not take kindly to that. He laid out Sean with four power bombs before Diesel came to his rescue, uh, the rescue of his former friend. The day after Monday Night Raw, on April 4th, 1995, Ken started a thread titled, What the Hell? Says McManikin on commentary says, You won't believe what happened during the break. Sean is face down on the mat and Sid is standing over him. Suddenly, Diesel storms the ring and takes a couple of shots at Sid and stands over Shawn Michaels, protecting him. And the show ends with McManikin saying, I don't believe it. No replay, no flashback, no information, nothing. Was any one of our loyal core of RSPW Infomaniacs there? And can they post a report on what happened? Coleman chimes in. You saw all that I saw. At first, I thought that it was... Uh, that Big Daddy Cool wanted to protect Sean so that Sean wouldn't have the excuse of an injury for losing in their rematch. However, that does not lead to much of a storyline or an angle. When they broke for commercial, I thought it would be a face turn for Sid, but afterwards they seemed, uh, or that seemed, to not be the case. It might just be that Sean is going to turn face, have a face-versus-face match for the title with Diesel, and win the belt as a babyface. That would leave Diesel free to feud with Sid without the belt being on the line. Poom then responded, The Sean-Sid split came rather quickly and unexpectedly, which is a good thing. I truly hope Ross and McManikin don't make... What is this McManikin bullshit? (laughs) I think Shawn Michaels called Vince McMahon that. Didn't he call him that at one point on TV? Called him McManikin or something? Anyway, he says, I truly hope Ross and McManikin don't make Sean a face, which in my opinion just would not work. It would be like trying to make Vader a babyface. No way. Brett A. Schwan writes, According to Joe Pettuccino's hotline, Sid, is it, no, is it Joe Pettuccino or Joe Pettuccino? I think it's Joe Pettuccino. According to Joe Pettuccino's hotline, Sid powerbombed Michaels four times before Diesel made the save. Afterwards, Sean was carried out on a stretcher. That comment led to Joe Pettuccino himself writing in to clarify things here on RSPW. And by the way, I was sorry to see his wife, uh, Bonnie Blackstone's video back in June, uh, that Joe suffered a stroke and is basically bedridden now. He did have his own hotline for news back in the day and from all the threads I've gone through, of the many RSPW threads I've gone through, uh, he was a frequent poster in the news group. But uh, he chimed in here, he had this to say. He said, during the commercial break, Sid told Sean that everything was okay, and if he wanted him to take the day off, when the rematch takes place, that he would. He started to walk away, and he clotheslined Sean from behind. He then proceeded to powerbomb him four times. He found a way to lift the man even higher than in the past, so the powerbombs looked even more impressive. Plus, Sean sold them like crazy. By the third one, he was out cold. Sid had to pick up his limp body for the fourth one. Vince and Jimmy C. were going crazy. Sid waited for the cue to go for the fifth powerbomb when Diesel came in to stop him and ran him off just as the cameras came back on again. You saw and heard the rest. 
By the way, I wasn't there, but on the satellite, they don't go away for commercials, so I watched what happened as they taped it for replay. I do miss those satellite days where people would leak footage of Raw and SmackDown in between commercial breaks or before they went on the air. And even after the show. I still have videos on my uh, system of off-air satellite stuff and Brock Lesnar having fun with The Undertaker and beating up Paul Heyman and all that kind of stuff. There used to be another forum that I would frequent. Uh, This was in the early 2000s. There was a forum called the Sledgehammer Forum. I don't know if anybody remembers the uh, Sledgehammer Forum. They'd post media on there all the time. Just general media stuff. So they would have... uh, Music videos that people would put together, uh, set to wrestling clips. Really good stuff, actually. Really good stuff people would put together, but also they would leak uh, video clips of the satellite stuff. Because I I didn't have satellites, so I couldn't watch that kind of stuff. Uh, But people would, and then they would put it online. On April 16th, 1995, Rob wanted to talk about the Ultimate Warrior as we shift gears here. With a post titled, Ultimate Warrior, I am very confused. (laughs) Well, that could mean a whole bunch of different things. Either he, maybe he just watched a promo of his. Uh, I don't know, but. I was gonna, I saw that title and I just, I laughed out loud. I said, Ultimate Warrior, I am very confused. As most of us were whenever we would listen to a Warrior promo. He says, Could someone help me clear up all the stories about the Ultimate Warrior? How many of them were there really? Was Steve DeSalvo one of them? Did anyone who portrayed the warrior die? I remember hearing rumors about that back in 1990. Any help would be greatly appreciated. And I did search. I searched in vain for any posts about this from 1990. Unfortunately, I could not find them. You can't find all of the old RSPW threads, clearly. I got a lot of things I've tried searching for that I just have not been able to find. So that was one of them. I, I didn't come up with anything. But anyway, the stilt man decided that he would be a wise-ass and he would have some fun with Rob here. He says, as the officially appointed boss of RSPW, I must take the opportunity to help this poor fellow out and clear up the confusion. On the question of how many of them were there really, he says, there were three Ultimate Warriors. Was Steve DeSalvo one of them? Yes, he was. He was one of them. He is the only one still alive, in fact. And, uh... That is not true, obviously. Although, I didn't know what Steve DeSalvo even looked like. I've seen his name mentioned on RSPW a few times. So I looked this Steve DeSalvo guy up, and he does kind of look like the Ultimate Warrior. At first glance, he does kind of look like the Warrior, or or maybe Renegade, who also kind of looked like the Warrior. I could see a little bit of a resemblance there. Did anyone who portrayed the warrior die? I remember hearing rumors about that in 1990. Yes, the original one, Jim Helwig, and the first replacement, Rodney Anawai, both died. Helwig had a freak heart attack, believed to have been caused by his steroid abuse. Anawai died in a car accident about four weeks before the Survivor Series in 1992. Steve DeSalvo was hired to be the warrior, showed up at one house show, and then they decided to drop the angle because he did not resemble the other two enough. Rather than put a third replacement out, they dropped the angle altogether and came up with the Kurt Hennig turns on Ric Flair angle for the pay-per-view. DeSalvo never showed up on TV in the WWF and is now in WCW working as the Renegade. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh, man. 
Brian Lewis could hear no more of this, and he decided to be a party pooper. How many of them were there really? One. Was Steve DeSalvo one of them? No, never. This was a joke started on RSPW years ago that some people will not let die, even though it stopped being funny a long time ago. Did anyone who portrayed the Ultimate Warrior die? Not unless someone has killed that WCW Renegade guy over the last week. Oof. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I guess that's not so funny in retrospect. Renegade shot himself in the head a few years later, after WCW released him. Brian Lewis also chimed in on a different Ultimate Warrior post a few months later on July 25th, after reaching his breaking point. He says, because people were asking again about the warrior and his identity and did he really die and what's up with these stories. And so Brian Lewis just, he just snapped. And he said, he was killed yesterday outside his gym in Arizona by a mob of angry RSPW regulars who were sick of answering questions about where he is now. (laughs) Oh man. You know, for years, people bought into the stories about there being two or three different Ultimate Warriors, different people portraying the Ultimate Warrior because the first one died in a car accident or or had a heart attack. He did die of a heart attack, but that was over 20 years later. There was only ever one Ultimate Warrior. That's it. And you know what? Those rumors, which even I heard when I was younger, that the real Warrior, he died in a car crash, I bet you they were started on RSPW. I bet that's where it started. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to find... You know what? I ought to search for this. I would not be surprised... If all the stuff about the macho man Randy Savage, you know, having sex with an underage Stephanie McMahon, if all that stuff was started in RSPW, I bet this news group is what started it. I bet it started there and it just it just spiraled out of control and it just gained a life of its own. I bet it started right here in this news group. July 25th, or uh, rather July 28th, I should say, 1995, Freak Boy with a post titled, Mabel vs. Diesel, Not Unpredictable. I don't know why you idiots are now complaining about the SummerSlam main event, Mabel vs. Diesel. If you really think that it's a bad idea for these two to wrestle, then why didn't anyone say anything after the King of the Ring? Obviously, the King of the Ring goes on to face the champion at SummerSlam. It's just like the winner of the Royal Rumble goes on to face the champion at WrestleMania. Let me stop there. Let me me stop Freak Boy there. This actually is not true. Most people assume that that was the case, that the the King of the Ring goes on to face the champion at SummerSlam. That was only true in 1994 because Owen Hart was in the middle of a feud with his brother. Outside of that, that was almost never the case. That was not the case with Bret in 93. That was not the case with Austin in 96. That was not the case with Triple H in 97. That was not the case with Shamrock in 98. That was not the case with Billy Gunn in 99. Mabel, Kurt Angle, and Brock Lesnar, I believe, were the only ones who actually went on to face the uh, champion at SummerSlam. Kurt was in a three-way with Rock and Triple H. Anyway, I'm I'm sorry for interrupting Freak Boy. Please continue. He says, personally, I don't think that it will be a bad match. I think that everyone is complaining because of the way Mabel was used before. Come to think of it, the same people who were complaining that McMahon was a racist are now complaining that Mabel, a black guy, is being given a huge push. Ask, and ye shall receive. And then at the end of his post, he included this rumor from the rumor mill. Virgil is making a comeback to the WWF. 
He will be Mabel and Moe's manager and will be known as the Harlem Knight to go along with the monarchy gimmick. He supposedly put on 30 pounds of muscle and grew a beard, a mustache, and hair on his head. He should get over huge. Well, that never happened. Although Virgil with a beard, mustache, and hair on his head would be quite the sight. Trevor Barry disputes Freak Boy's assertion that no one spoke out against a Mabel Diesel match. He said, What news group were you reading? The net was inundated by people complaining about the fact that a talentless slob like Mabel was made king. There were actually quite a few people on RSPW uh, calling Vince McMahon a racist even before the King of the Ring pay-per-view in 1995. And the majority of the posters, from what I saw, actually leapt to Vince's defense. So there were way more Vince defenders than detractors when it came to the whole hey he's a racist thing on july 13th roger said could the reason that mabel is king be because vince mcmahon was reading rspw just before king of the ring and wanted to destroy any comments about him being racist it seems odd to me that just before king of the ring there were several people claiming vince was a racist and then mabel suddenly became king of the ring please note that i am not accusing and have never accuse Vince of being a racist, nor do I think he is. Sam Nord the Barbarian responded, You're really kidding yourself if you think that Vince McMahon would make a booking decision on the basis of a small faction of the wrestling audience who hang out on a Usenet newsgroup making the suggestion that he may be racist. Love him or hate him, he is an extraordinarily successful businessman. I seriously doubt that he would let RSPW have any influence over his booking decisions as much as some egocentric <laughs> egocentric folks around here would like to think so. I think he was simply trying to get Mabel over as a monster heel. I flagged some of the Vince McMahon is racist posts for another time. I may use them in a different RSPW segment because it caused quite a stir in the group from what I can see. I think uh, one of these days it may be worth sharing some of these posts. But let's end with something uh, more lighthearted. From November 21st, 1995, a post by Manny titled Sean and Dubba J's Theme Music. Can anyone provide the lyrics to Sexy Boy and I'm Your Baby Tonight? It's so frustrating to keep on humming these tunes. I know someone has posted Sean's on RSPW before. Please email me or reply to the news group so others can benefit. Uh, Vince, not McMahon, says, I'd try Titan Sports, or calling ASCAP or BMI and checking out if Jimmy Hart or Rick Derringer was one of the writers. Both have big catalogs and were responsible for composing a lot of the musical schlock on the show. Jeremy responds, actually, you might want to try Jim Johnston, who has been the WWF's music director for many years. Also try Stephanie Music, which is the WWF's music publisher. Yes, they started a music publisher a publishing company called Stephanie Music, after uh, you-know-who. You might want to sit tight for another wrestling album from WWF. Believe it or not, the Slammies may be making a return, which could indicate a forthcoming WWF wrestling album. And, in fact, Jeremy was correct. There was another Slammies. The Slammies were brought back in 1996 for the first time since uh, probably 86 or 87. And... It was another year or so before a new album came out, but it did come out. That was the WWF Full Metal CD from 1996, which had both of those songs on there. Sean's theme music and uh, With My Baby Tonight. It was not I'm Your Baby Tonight. 
my own personal memories... Oh, man, Full Metal. That brings me back. My personal memories of Full Metal, which is a great album, by the way. Thorn in Your Eye is on there, which they use as the Attitude Era music for Raw. Uh, and they brought in guys from Anthrax, uh, uh, Scott Ian, and Typo Negative. I forgot the name of the person. To work on that. Uh, and that other track was Thorn in Your Eye and... Uh, uh, Oh God, we are uh, we are the world or whatever the fuck it was. But uh, they had a lot of great songs on that CD. They they had Bret Hart's theme, they had Diesel's theme, Gold Dust, Psycho Sid, Razor Ramon, uh, The Undertaker. It was a great CD, save for the fact that it's not the arena version of Shawn Michaels' theme music. To this day, I cannot listen to that version of his song from that Full Metal album because it sounds terrible. And I have no idea why they didn't just use the authentic arena version of his theme music. It doesn't make any sense to me. And you know, you know how I was able to finally hear the real version of Sexy Boy? The In Your House PC video game. That game came out around the same time, I think late 96. Uh, when I put the CD-ROM in my computer, this is my old, man, my, my old IBM Aptiva. That was my first computer in 94. When I put that CD-ROM in my computer... If I checked the file folder, the audio files were there. They had the actual audio. They weren't MP3s, but whatever format it was. But I would just click on each song and it would play in Windows Media Player. So that's how I got the music. They had the correct version of Sexy Boy on that game. So if you ever listen to them side by side, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you listen to both versions side by side or one right after the other, I guarantee you will hear the difference right away. But I was obsessed with getting my hands on that Full Metal album when it first came out. It was sold out everywhere I looked for it. Everywhere I looked. Sam Ash, Sam Goody, you know, whatever stores were around back then. Nobody had it. Nobody had it. It was all sold out. And God bless her, it was Mama Monster who got it for her. I don't know where she got it from. I don't know where she found it. She found it. She knew I was looking for it. She found the CD and she bought it for me. Legend has it that she may have had to fight for it. She may have had to put some bitches down. That was Mama Monster. And she got me my CD. She always had my back, even with all this wrestling nonsense. So this has been your weekly reminder that Shawn Michaels may be a sexy boy, but he is not, in fact, your boy toy. Let's do some mailbag questions. You can email me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. We have an audio question from Steve. Hey, Solomonster, Monster. This is Steve from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and here's my question to you. With Luke Harper finally getting his release from WWE, do you think that if he debuts in AEW, for instance, a monster gimmick would work for him, like debut him with a mask and give him that Kane-like debut from Hell in a Cell? I think that Luke Harper can can get over on his own without a mask. I I mean, could it work? It could maybe, but you know, him in a mask in AEW is a monster. I, I don't see it working. I think if they're interested in him, they should just bring him in. You know, call him you know, Brody Lee, and he can come in and just be a big brawler type. I don't think you need to put a mask on him. We could put him in the Dark Order. <laughs> I don't think we need that. You know, we already have one big mass dude in uh, AEW. His name is Luchasaurus, and I think if anybody's going to get over as a big monster, it's going to be him. Uh, but I think Harper doesn't need doesn't need to be in a mask. I think he could just be himself. 
and he could be a solid, you know, mid middle card, mid to upper card addition to the roster. And not, not a headliner necessarily, but he can be a solid addition, I think, to that bench. Thomas from Reno, Nevada asked uh, if I had heard the comments that Triple H made about the UK wrestling scene on Corey Graves' After the Bell podcast. I did I did uh, hear that part. I did see the clip going around on uh, social media this week. Uh, let me just read some of what he said here, what uh, Thomas is referring to. He said, I think all of that is important in this feeder system of what the business is. People that have misunderstood, like when we went to the UK, what we were trying to accomplish there because of uh, people's small thinking or short-sightedness. Yes, some of these indies are going to go away. The ones that are going to go away are the ones that are paying you 25 bucks when they promised you 75 The ones that have a ring that didn't hold up. The ones that didn't have medical there. The ones that didn't care about you. They were just booking you because they were hoping to sell some tickets and you had a little bit of the buzz. So they were hoping to sell some tickets and they could care less what you do. We wanted to work with the ones who were cultivating talent, the ones that were encouraging them to become better working with them on promos or giving them guidance, that had equipment that was functioning, that had medical care if you were injured, that at least you didn't have to wait 45 minutes for an ambulance or try to figure out if they were going to call you an Uber. So I guess this was in reference to a lot of the independent UK promotions. There have been a lot in 2019 that have died off. In fact, I I don't remember what episode it was a few months ago, but I read a whole list of up to half a dozen this year alone that have either gone under or are in the process of going under. And all I will say is I will refer you back to a commentary I had on Sound Off episode 374 from March of 2015. And the the gist of what I was saying at the time was if you are an independent wrestling promoter, this is not just limited to the UK. If you are an indie wrestling promoter, watch your back because triple H and with with NXT, what they would end up doing is putting a lot of these independent promotions out of business or weakening them to a point where they would have no choice effectively but to partner in some way with WWE. Because the situation as it is... So this is no surprise to me. I basically... You know, I talked about this five years ago. Anybody who's listened to this show, you remember that You remember that commentary. You can find the clip on YouTube. The reality is you either agree to terms with WWE and you partner with them as a glorified feeder system, or you're on the outside looking in. And eventually, they're going to gobble you up. They're going to bleed you dry. All that talent that's out there on the scene, they're going to have them at some point. You're with us or you're against us. That's the WWE attitude. And according to The Observer this week, the deal that these companies agree to when they do partner up with WWE, whether it's a Progress or an ICW, is that they give WWE the right to buy them out if they choose to do so down the road. They could just buy them out outright. Buy them out, shut them down. It's all about control with this company. It's all about power. It's no different than it is with other big companies outside the wrestling bubble, in business in general. The biggest media companies in the world, the biggest media conglomerates, they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. WWE is no different. 
That's what this is. They hoard as much talent as they possibly can. They have so much talent, they don't know what to do with half the talent they have under contract. They just sign them up. Well, this guy looks like he might have promise. Give him a contract. Sign him up. So they hoard as much talent as they possibly can, and maybe they'll end up doing something meaningful with half of them. They do this to the detriment of all of those UK indies. Which is why the UK indie scene... Look, the UK indie scene, to say that it's dead is not true. And I heard from people who said, you know, when I talked about this uh, several weeks ago, you know, they agreed largely with what I said, but they said, look, we I live in the UK. There's still a ton of independent promotions. And when a lot of these promotions die, other ones may sprout up. So I'm not saying the UK independent wrestling scene is dead, but this boom that they were experiencing, it ain't booming no more. Not like it was. And this is part of the reason why. But... You know, Japan has come up recently as well. The WWE is interested or tried to and, and wasn't able to get a foothold in Japan. They they would love to have an NXT Japan or a PC in Japan. I don't doubt that. For their sake, for the Japanese wrestling uh, scene, for the, for the sake of the, the scene out there, I hope that doesn't happen. But I also can't, I can't fault WWE for wanting to. Look at all the great talent they've got over there. Look at the talent they have in Canada. How many great wrestlers have come out of Canada? 90% of which probably came out of the Hart household. Canada has churned out a whole a whole ton of talent. I'm surprised they don't have some PC up there. I'm surprised they never went to Lance Storm and said, Hey, Lance, who just shut down his wrestling school and is now working for WWE as a producer, I'm surprised they never went to him and said, Hey, you know, maybe we can turn your school into the official kind of Canadian feeder system for WWE. Or maybe they did and Lance wasn't interested. I don't know. But, you know, Canada would be a logical place. Japan has a ton of talent, you know, and, and they've taken more talent from Japan in recent years. But mark my words, th- this will not end with just the UK. They're going to try to invade other places, too. You're either with us or against us. I said it five years ago, and I'll say it again now. If you are an indie promoter in these places, watch your back. DJ from North Carolina I was watching your video the other day about wrestling needing its monsters back. And one of my favorite monsters in 2011 was Mark Henry. Since I didn't hear you mention him, did you consider Mark Henry a monster during this period? And what was your opinion of his Hall of Pain run? Yeah, I should have mentioned Mark Henry. I loved it. I loved his Hall of Pain run. I was I became a big fan of his during that period. Uh, and it was awesome. Him getting the chance after years of injuries and setbacks... Even though it was brief, but for Randy Orton to put him over the way he did and for him to have that run as the World Heavyweight Champion was awesome. And I think there was a missed opportunity in 2013 uh, where he had wrestled John Cena. And the timing just didn't the timing just didn't work because they were going into SummerSlam where it was going to be Cena defending against Daniel Bryan. And Bryan beat Cena clean and that was a big win for him. And then the Daniel Bryan story, of course, took off because he got screwed over by the authority and and it all went from there. But Mark Henry really should have gotten that win over John Cena. This was after the, the retirement swerve with the salmon pink jacket and they had a championship match and money in the bank and Cena just beat him and that was it. It's really too bad that uh, he didn't get a chance to run with the WWE title as well. 
But you look back on it in hindsight, and you see what they did with Cena the following month, and you can almost understand it. And Cena also had some kind of an injury that he was wrestling with with his arm going into the match with Brian, but uh, but that's that's irrelevant. The point is, I, I loved it, and he was the definition of a monster at the time. He was a scary dude. He was as physically strong as anybody on the roster. They did these things. I remember one thing on SmackDown where he grabbed a stagehand and like tossed them over a bunch of equipment boxes and they vanished. Uh, and, and the promos that he was cutting and the trash talking that he was doing at the time. He was on fire. And there was nobody as scary or as intimidating as Mark Henry during that Hall of Pain run. But again, injuries derailed him. He got hurt again at the end of the year. So that was always uh, kind of the story of his career and his run in WWE. And to an extent, that's kind of what I worry about with Samoa Joe as well. Samoa Joe is not as physically imposing as Mark Henry or as physically strong as Mark Henry is or was. But, you know, he's this kind of badass guy who goes out there and trash talks and can spit fire and cut promos. And I think really should have that run as kind of a badass uh, world champion, top of the brand, top of the food chain kind of guy, but he just keeps getting derailed by injuries. And he just got over the thumb injury. Let us hope. Let us hope now, as he's seemingly about to get this big babyface push on the Raw brand, uh, that he doesn't get hurt again. But I thought Mark Henry was great. Absolutely uh, fantastic. And uh, should should absolutely be mentioned as one of the great monsters in uh, in the history of that company. Chris from Bossier City, Louisiana. Recently, Cody Rhodes stated that the online bickering between NXT and AEW fans is toxic. Some fans responded to this by saying the shots that Cody and the Elite took at WWE on television and being the Elite makes them responsible for the situation to begin with. Do you agree with this? It didn't help, but no, I don't agree with that at all. That's not the reason why. People just like to be toxic. It has gotten way out of control. I see it on my timeline, I see it on social media in general, I see it in the Facebook group. There is no reason for there to be this much hate for AEW. And there's no reason for there to be hate on NXT either. But I see far more hate for AEW that is completely unjustified. There's a difference between hate and having some critiques about things they do, things they say. I'm talking hate. And the bickering between the fans back and forth, like it's some kind of competition. Like when I talk about the ratings and stuff, it's more of like a fun thing. Okay, let's see who got the higher numbers this week, right? I'm not trying to pit the two companies against each other in some kind of like bloody battle where only one man can be left standing. Both guys can be left standing. Both guys can be made stronger as a result of the competition, but it should be a friendly competition. This is not the Monday Night Wars. This is not live or die the way it was for a time there for WWE and WCW, where WWF really had their backs against the wall. And and Eric Bischoff was trying to put Vince McMahon out of business. And there were some big, big stars and big, big names jumping back and forth between the two companies. That's not what this is. This is like a miniature version of that. I don't see a reason for there to be this much toxicity between the two fans. You have NXT fans who will look at AEW and say that it's WWE light. Or it's just the you know it's the young bucks and all they do is dives and super kicks and it sucks and you know and and blah blah blah, and then you'll have AEW fans. To be fair to the NXT people, there are some real crazy ones out there on the AEW side as well. 
you say even the slightest word, the slightest criticism about AEW. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the Impact Defenders from back in the day that I used to mock all the time. Because these people, TNA, they could do no wrong. And if you spoke out against Impact, oh boy. You guys know. You you remember the General and these other maniacs out there that would come after me if I said the slightest thing about Impact. It was like they had some kind of army and they would come after me. You know, I became, uh, you know, public enemy number one to these people. And what did I do? I laughed. I left. It was it was disturbing, <laughs> you know, because they probably were just so sick of everybody beating up on Impact. I could almost sympathize with them because TNA for so long was such a joke and such a punchline that I kind of get it. You know, I looking back on it now, I kind of understand why they would have gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I understand. But still. That's what this reminds me of. There are some AEW fans out there like that. You can't say one bad word about the company without being attacked or being branded biased or, you know, a hater. Enough. Enough with the vitriol. But the, but the back and forth between the AEW fans and the NXT fans, like the amount of hate and insult, insulting and everything that goes on, it's it's too much. Like, where is this coming from? What is wrong with you people? There's something, there's something wrong up here with these people. They take it so personally. They attack each other so viciously. I don't understand it. I really don't. The level of hate has gotten to a point where it's just, it's too much. There's no, and and so when, when Cody uh, talks about there being a lot of toxicity between the fan base, he's 100% absolutely right. And I don't blame him for that or the elite. I don't think there's any one person who's who's to blame for it. I think the fans are to blame for it. Because they took it upon themselves to start some kind of war against each other. And there's no reason for it. It makes it less fun, to be honest with you. When I see all of the, these comments and just the the hatred and the animosity for, the, for, the, for AEW or AEW fans for NXT... Just enjoy both, and if you don't like one or the other, that's fine too, but to attack the fans of the other brand, I'm not talking about the the, the crazies, there's going to be crazies for, for every promotion, but the, the, the constant attacks is, is just, it's ridiculous, it's uncalled for, it's too much, it shouldn't be happening, and it makes, it honestly makes it less fun to follow along with both shows, it really does. And in this case, I think it is the fans, I think the fans are ruining it, I think the fans are ruining the fun for everybody else. There's no reason to uh, to to lob Molotov cocktails at each other the way that a lot of these fans do. And they'll blame it on the other. Enough with the blame game. Both sides are to blame. Both sides have been just ridiculous when it comes to this stuff. And it's getting worse and worse. It's getting worse and worse. I suspect that it would have been the exact same way if Facebook and Twitter and social media existed back during the Monday Night War. It probably would have been worse. So I don't think it's a new thing. I think just wrestling fans are just a bunch of crazy fuckers. And this is how they this is how they choose to behave. And it would have been it would have been just as bad if not worse 20 years ago if this was around uh, during the Monday Night War period cuz that was a war. I mean that was that was more of a war, you know, for real between those two companies until WWE just started to pull away with it. So, yeah, I I notice it myself. Uh, I do not blame that at all on uh, Cody or the Elite. 
you know, when when they take pot shots, I do call them out for it just because I think it, it tends to sometimes make them uh, look a little bushly. They ought to just kind of worry about their own stuff and, and not worry about acknowledging WWE. Uh, but to say that that is the cause of the toxicity is bullshit. It's the fans. The fans need to look in the mirror. They're the ones causing all the toxicity. It's not uh, the wrestlers. So, anyway. If you have questions for the mailbag, you can email them to me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from, as I uh, say every week. So that way you can increase your chances of having your question used. Again, Wrestle Kingdom next weekend. My plan is to cover each day in its own separate part. So there should be a part one review Saturday night, probably, or sometime later in the day on YouTube. Uh, there'll be hopefully a review for day two, Sunday night. And then what I may do is save the audio. Maybe I'll just push one big audio update out at the end of the weekend. But there'll be two different parts for each day on the YouTube channel. That will be separate and apart from episode 633. So that way you don't have to worry about any kind of spoilers or results or any Wrestle Kingdom talk on the show next Sunday. That'll be a separate show. So that's going to be... Well, there's my whole weekend right there. So I, I guess I better clear my uh, my calendar. Any stuff I wait until the weekend to do, I guess I'm not doing next weekend. So uh, that's going to be very busy. Hopefully you will join me in my uh, coverage and support the uh, the show as we kick off 2020 with our uh, Wrestle Kingdom coverage. And the prediction show, I had a couple of people ask me, are you doing a prediction show again? I do one every year. Uh, I do plan on doing one. Right now it's looking like the weekend of January 12th. So not the first Sunday of the new year, but the following Sunday probably will be the 2020 prediction show. And we'll look back on the... Uh, predictions for 2019 as well. So that is the plan. Uh, I want to say thank you for making 2019 the biggest year in the history of the Sound Off. Uh, here's to making an even bigger splash in 2020. Be well, stay safe. Wishing all of you a very happy new year, a very prosperous new year, and I will see you right back here next year. Until then, happy new year. Take care, guys. The Solomon Monster sounds off. Hello. Morrison versus Adam Cole. Morrison versus Ben Balor. Morrison versus Tommaso Ciampa. Morrison versus Nikita. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Were you Champa drinking during the pay-per-view tonight? Uh, <laughs> I was. Okay, I thought so. See, I thought so. Okay. The Solomon Monster sounds off. Available wherever you hear podcasts, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora. Want more content? Visit YouTube.com slash The Solomon Monster for sound off extras and more. And follow The Solomon Monster on Twitter at Solomon Monster. Solomon Monster. Solomon Monster. Put that cigarette out. Solomon Monster sounds off. <laughs>